Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. send their best at the moment to the mound and if ever the bird staff could use a hard seven today's the day for miles michaelis yeah, blew it right on by another 95 mile an hour heater back-to-back strikeouts for michaelis can't tell you how important this start is and a swing and a miss that ball disappeared michaelis has his third punch out that was nasty and the pitch Straw came out. Hat trick for Mr. Fairchild. Miles Michaelis, seven shutout innings against the Reds. And yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like right there. Take the ball, go out there with, uh, I want to finish this game. He, he shoved, but that's what we needed. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Miles Michaelis in his last six starts has given the Cardinals 36 innings with a sub-2 ERA. Opposing batters are hitting just 225 against him. T-Bone, in the last month, there's 110 qualified pitchers in Major League Baseball. Among those 110 starters, Miles Michaelis is 16th, 16th in ERA. He's 10th in innings pitched. He's 7th in total batters faced. Miles Michaelis is basically back to himself. Weird first months of the season. Miles Michaelis' season has basically mirrored that of Nolan Arenado. Don't really understand the first month. Doesn't make any sense. If we pretend it never happened, boy, are we happy with the results that we've seen so far. Miles Michaelis yesterday, that was not only important for him, it was important for the team because they were able to limit the exposure from the bullpen. You needed just 40 pitches overall from the bullpen. They only had to cover two innings at the back end of that game. To get out of Cincinnati with that series split is disappointing. To get out of there with that kind of performance out of Miles Michaelis is exactly what the doctor ordered, though, going into this series against Cleveland. Yeah, now you got most of your big arms available. I'd say maybe Geo to go for this series against the Cleveland Guardians. And you're not playing from behind where you desperately need to start like that going into the weekend. So Michaelis did his job yesterday, and you expect that from Miles Michaelis. When he's right, you expect six to seven innings from him each start out, and he's not going to walk guys. He doesn't give up a ton of power against him, like his slugging percentage since those in his last eight starts is just sitting at 359. Like nice. he's doing a really good job that. of preventing uh, the long ball and really si- signifying damage being done to him. So he's done exactly what you need from him. And he's now the guy that we talked about this a little bit yesterday as he was wrapping up his outing uh, at the end of our show. He's now the guy that's the stopper for the St. Louis Cardinals rotation. He's the guy that if you're going through and you go, ah, I didn't get innings from Flaherty, definitely didn't get innings from Mats. Uh, Wayno was fine. You can count on Miles Michaelis now to be that guy. And I I kind of push back on this, and Miles said it today or post game yesterday. 
I, I didn't think the World Baseball Classic played a factor into it, but then he just said, yes, it did. I, I wasn't I wasn't ready, and, and he said I didn't want to blame the tournament, which I, I'm glad he did, didn't do that. But he, he's now back on track. He's got great command of the fastball. He was using all his pitches yesterday. The slider looked really good. He had one where he like almost turned a guy into the dirt as he was screwdriving him in after a nice slider in on his feet. So he, he's back to being himself, and that's the guy that the St. Louis Cardinals need. So here's the question, big picture, that I wanted to ask. Because yesterday was obviously great, and I want to get your guys' input on this as well. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Is Miles Michaelis is good enough number two? Because we've been spending a lot of time talking about the Cardinals' inability to get that number one starter. They're, they've been searching for it. They were hoping that Jack Flaherty could become that. I, I am willing to say right now, unequivocally, that Jack Flaherty is not and will not be the number one starter for the Cardinals in the playoffs. He can't be. That's not his role. But he could be a solid number three or four. Like, that's possible. I could still see that happening at some point this year if he gets everything on track. Can Miles Michaelis be a two? For a championship contending team, T-Bone, do you think that he can be a guy that takes the ball in game two of a series and he is able to generate enough opportunities for you to be able to get to the promised land. Can he be that guy? I, I think he can be. I, I think though he doesn't have the swing and miss stuff, he's the typical guy that's going to work around, maybe get like three to five strikeouts and just give you an opportunity to win because, again, he just doesn't allow damage when he's right. And I, I think he can be a number two for you. I mean, I know a lot of people will look at him and go, well, he, he lost game two last year in the wild card round to the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, he gave you a chance that game. I know he didn't go deep. He went four and a third and gave up two earned runs. But you said 75 pitches, and once you get to the playoffs, you're going to be a little more uh, less lenient against the third time through the order. You try to avoid that as much as possible. So I, I think he can be. I mean, I read off his numbers yesterday before they came in after that outing against the Reds. I mean, his numbers were very similar to Marcus Stroman. And I would take Stroman as a two in a rotation. Hell, some people would argue he could be even a one for you in a rotation. So I, I say yes, I think he can be that guy. But he shouldn't be the number one for you in a playoff rotation because sure. he doesn't have the swing and miss. So I, I would say yes, and he's got a track record to approving it in the postseason as well. So I'm looking through all these teams that are legitimate contenders, I think, or at least are expected to be contenders in the National League this year. Atlanta, their number two starter right now would be Charlie Morton. I think it's they go about it in different ways because Charlie Morton's very much a swing and miss guy. Miles Michaelis is the opposite of that. He's among the lowest in Major League Baseball, even in this recent stretch in terms of strikeout rate, swinging strike rate, all of those things that you want to see analytically speaking. Michaelis goes against all of that, but it works because he controls the contact. Nobody hits him very hard. It works for the way that he pitches. But they're kind of similar in terms of what their overall results are when it comes to ERA. I think you could put them up one for one. I don't feel bad about my opportunity to be able to win that game. Max Scherzer's the number two right now for the Mets. This is a tough one. Max Scherzer has not been very good this year. He has been very injured over the last couple of seasons. But if you're telling me game two of a season series, Max Scherzer versus Miles Michaelis, I, I would lean Max Scherzer. Like I feel pretty good yeah. about my, my chances there if I'm the Mets. Aaron Nola is the number two for the Phillies. Again, this is going to sound weird. Aaron Nola is an excellent pitcher. I would take him in a heartbeat on this Cardinals rotation. If you just look at the last two years, though, I was shocked, honestly, when I saw this. Miles Michaelis has a better ERA over the last two seasons than Aaron Nola. So it's at best a push between those two guys. Tony Gonsolin's the number two for the Dodgers. I don't trust that guy at all. Not even a little bit. I'll take Miles Michaelis. 
Snell or Musgrove is the number two starter for the Padres. They go about it again very differently. Both of those guys are swing and miss players. They're so inconsistent that I think I might go push there as well. And then you've got Merrill Kelly with the Arizona Diamondbacks, who, again, is kind of the same guy as Miles Michaelis. They both go about it without getting a ton of swing and miss stuff. I think you could call that a push as well. As much as we talk about the Cardinals' lack of front-end starting pitching, it's really their lack of a number one. You can use Miles Michaelis. I think he's best served as a number three, but can serve as that number two guy. I think they're okay there as long as this is the version of Miles Michaelis that we're going to get. I was nervous at the beginning of the year that he wasn't going to get back on track and that maybe it just when you pitch the way that he does, it goes quick and there's no way to get it back. I think he's turned it around. I think that what we've seen over the last month shows you what he's going to be the rest of the season, and it is more sustainable than what we saw in early April. I think Miles Michaelis can be a number two for a playoff rotation. I I agree, and I think the one area where you're listing off some of those names like Nola, I, I think the edge I give those guys, I think in the regular season I put Michaelis up there with them. I think I give those guys the edge, though, in the postseason because they've got the swing and miss. And as you saw last year, it takes one mistake. And look, it takes one mistake from every pitcher. But when you have Miles Michaelis, who doesn't have the swing and miss stuff, he's got to be more precise with his location and everything. And we saw he made the one big mistake to, I think it was Bryce Harper, if I remember correctly, last year in the playoffs. And that was the difference maker. So I, I give the edge to the swing and miss guys when you get to the playoffs. That's why I kind of agree with your sentiment of Miles Michaelis came to be a two. Yes. Would you prefer him to be a three? Yeah. Where he starts a game three and you got a guy with a little bit more swing and miss that can start game two for you. But with this team, he can definitely serve that role. I, I think if you bring in an ace, you you feel confident with, hey, we're throwing out, insert ace's name here in game one, Michaelis game two, and right. then we can figure it out with Jack or Montgomery going three, four for us in a playoff series. I I looked it up earlier today. Guys, over the last, so since the start of last season with a worse ERA than Miles Michaelis include, Aaron Nola, Pablo Lopez, Edward Cabrera, who I know a lot of Cardinals fans have been talking about from Miami, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Tyler Malley, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn. These are all guys with a worse ERA since the start of last season than Miles Michaelis. So I don't think he gets enough credit sometimes when we're talking about what he can be for this Cardinals rotation, but they still do need a number one. And this is where we get to tonight's game. T-Bone. I don't know what to make of Shane Bieber. We're going to be able to see him tonight against a lineup that we know very well with the Cardinals. He's starting tonight's game for the Cleveland Guardians. And he's been unbelievable when it comes to innings eating, his ability to prevent the runs on the board, which is ultimately his job. But if you look at any number underneath the hood, it all shouts from the mountaintops. Oh boy, this is going to go quick. It's not going to end well for Shane Bieber, and it's already starting in terms of the regression that's coming his direction. You look at the traditional numbers, 3-1 ERA. He's averaging more than six innings per start this year. That's been what he is. Over the last two seasons, he has 31 quality starts out of his 41 starts overall. It's an unbelievable quality start ratio. This is a guy that you can count on to give you six-plus innings, three earned runs or fewer, basically every time he goes out on the mound. T-Bone, are we watching tonight the Cardinals' future race? I think so. I, I think Shane Bieber, I don't know if it's going to be at the deadline or if it's going to be in the offseason. He, and we talked about this earlier this week, he screams like what Nolan Arnauto was, where it's like, hey, there's clearly a match made in heaven here. Clearly, you're looking to get rid of him because you're not going to keep him, and the Cardinals can help you out. The Guardians' offense is one of the worst things I've ever seen in Major League Baseball. It is bad. They need some help. The Cardinals have a supplement of pieces that they could provide them to help out the offense. We've talked about it. Tommy Emmon, possibly one of the outfielders like Alec Burleson, potentially. 
and send in a prospect and get Shane Bieber that can come in and uh, be the guy that can lead a rotation. Now, to your point, I, I feel like regression's coming, <laughs> which is a little terrifying to say because of what I just said we're trading for him. But everything screams regression is coming, but for some reason he feels like a guy that it, it, it's not going to matter. He's going to find a way to work his way through it because everything is blue on his baseball savant page. His strikeout per nine is at the lowest in his career so far. But I saw him pitch against the Mets on Sunday Night Baseball. He was wheeling and dealing. So I I think you're looking at the guy that might be the solution to the Cardinals' problem tonight when he goes up against them. I mean, you look at his his opportunity. You look at the overall statistics, and you're like, this guy's amazing. And then you go underneath the hood, and you're like, whoa, hold on. This is a Maserati that has been treated poorly over the last few years, and it's starting to break down. But when it's just driving down the highway, you don't notice any of those things. You're like, hey, that's a Maserati. That's pretty damn cool. Unfortunately for the Cardinals, they're buying it kind of sight unseen, and you're not totally sure which version of it you're going to ultimately get. The cost of doing business is going to be unbelievably high. It's going to be expensive to be able to acquire a guy like Shane Bieber, but when you end up getting it into your garage, it, is it going to be able to drive the same way? Is it going to be the same pitcher that we have seen with the Guardians? That's where it gets really risky. So if I had to bet on, if you said, hey, Shane Bieber or the field, what do the Cardinals get? If, if we guaranteed right now they're going to get a number one starter at the deadline, who's it going to be, Shane Bieber or the field? I think the overwhelming likelihood is that it is Shane Bieber because I just don't see them going the – um, Rodriguez route from the Detroit Tigers. I'm not sure they make a ton of sense for the White Sox guys because of how risky they are. If you're looking for somebody that's proven, that's Shane Bieber. He is like the Aaron Nola of the American League, basically, where he's going to give you innings other than one weird year where he got hurt with a shoulder injury halfway through the season. He's pitched basically 30 plus starts every other season of his career. When he's available for the full season, he's giving you 200 innings. He's he's kind of Miles Michaelis like. So I, I think Shane Bieber is the guy. It just, it would make me nervous as hell if I'm giving up an asset like a Mason Wynn, for example, in a deal like this. And it might end up costing you something like that. That's the kind of deal that you would be making by acquiring a guy like Shane Bieber. And I could also see the Cardinals re-signing him long-term. I could see him being the guy that they look to and say, ah, this is actually going to be the heir apparent to Adam Wainwright as the number one starter in our rotation. He's got all of the makeup that you're looking for. Yeah, he's got the makeup you're looking for. And I think the one thing that is slightly encouraging, if you want to take it at that, is he, he does have, and he's gone to it a little bit more, is he's got a slider and a cutter now that he's starting to work in. So you can see... Um, based on looking at his savant page, you can see he's starting to make the adjustments for, hey, I don't have what I used to have, so how am I going to work a way through it? Now he's throwing a cutter more. He's got the slider, and his slider's getting a, a 30% whiff rate cutter, a 29.5% whiff rate. So like he's developing pitches to try and help make the adjustments along the way, but there are things still like you'd like to see, like fastball velo. You'd like to see a little bit higher, and he came off of a shoulder injury in 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So those are concerning signs. But I think if you're the St. Louis Cardinals, you almost have to try and make it work because you don't have anybody coming through the system as you're earning this winning window that you can say, yeah, that's an ace. So you have to be willing to take this kind of a gamble. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, nobody has seen more of Shane Bieber than Paul Hoynes. He covers the team for Cleveland.com. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes or so to discuss what he's seen from Bieber this year, whether or not the underlying metrics are telling us the full story. We'll talk to Paul Hoynes about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next... 
Are the Blues going to end up stuck with all of the defensemen that we've been talking about them trading for the last couple of years? It seems like that is the most likely route. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You also have a real log jam of players. You're thinking, okay, Scott Perunovich. Well, I'm not sure you can go in expecting Scott to be healthy. He's been riddled with injuries since he turned pro. You know, but what do you do? Do you, you have to clear some space for Tucker to come in and play? You, you've got Kelly Rosen coming in on a one-year deal. So whether, you know, Robert Portuzo's in the last year of his deal, they're going to have to free up base for some of those other players to come in if it's going to fit this retooling that Doug Armstrong wants to do. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues are in an, a disadvantageous situation with their blue line right now, where you've got a bunch of guys that are under long-term contracts, all of whom you'd kind of like to move if possible. Now, I like Colton Pareko. I think he's a pretty solid player. Over on The Athletic, they've done some pieces on him recently where they say hey, if he's in the right role as a number two or a number three defenseman, you feel pretty good about that. Unfortunately for the Blues, he's been cast as a number one defenseman. You also have Justin Falk and Tori Krug, both of whom are on four-year deals remaining with $6.5 million per year. It's going to be difficult to move those contracts. Nick Letty, three years left at $4 million per year. Again, difficult to move a contract like that. And then you have Marco Scandella, who I would think should have some value on the trade market this offseason if the Blues are able to or willing to eat some of that money. But he's making $3.3 million. He's 33 years old, and he's had some serious injury questions over the last few years. T-Bone, I bring all this up because earlier today over on The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford went through all of the trade options for the Blues defensive core. And his conclusion was basically a big old shrug emoji of, yeah, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to move any of these guys. Do you think that the Blues are going to end up with all of these guys back on the roster going into the 2023 season? I I think they're going to be able to I think they're going to be able to move Scandella. I I think Scandella is the guy that makes the sense makes sense to where they can move him to where kind of like what you said. Would you be willing to eat some of the money? I I don't know why you wouldn't when it's only one year. It's not like guys like Letty, Pareko, Krug, Falk. If you were to move one of those guys, if you eat money on a contract that is long term, you have to eat whatever percentage it is for each year of the deal. That is why. The Blues aren't going to eat money on, say, Nick Letty if they were to trade him. And honestly, I, I don't have a problem with them deciding to do that. Scandell is the one that I, I think there should be some value around him. When he was healthy last year, came back from the hip injury, I thought he played fairly well for the St. Louis Blues. And I think somebody can look at him and go, okay, if they eat, say, 50% of that, he's making like $1.5 million, maybe a little bit more than that. But I, isn't he can that slot in on a third pair for us. At that point, is it worth it to just keep him? Like, if you're the Blues and you're not getting anything of real value in return, does it make more sense to have Marco Scandella on his current deal or to get the $1.5 million in cap space? Because that doesn't really do anything. It's really the roster spot that you'd be utilizing there. I I would move him because then you have a roster spot open to be playing someone like a Perunovic or, as Chris Kerber said in that cut there on the return, Tucker or Rosen, somebody like that. So I I think it's worth it because I think this is the year that the Blues need to figure out what they have in Scott Perunovic. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday where you can slot him 
him in on the third pairing. He can pl- quarterback one of the power plays, probably the second unit, because if Krug's here, which I think Krug will be here, Krug will have that number one unit. I, I think you need to figure out what you have in Scott Prunovich, and by doing that, you have to free up a spot in the in the lineup for him, and that's where I look at Marco Scandella. Are you going to pay him three point two seven five to be sitting up in the press box? I guess you could, yeah, or being on the third pairing. I I would given say, what the question marks are injury wise with the other defensemen that you have, I I wouldn't have an issue with it. That's fair, but I I think you look to move him and free up spots to where you could put Prudovich in that third pairing. You also free up a spot for Rosen or Tucker on the third pairing. Like I I just think there's better use of his roster spot, not so much his cap space. Grant, where do you fall on? this because like I understand if you just want to get rid of Marco Scandella fine I don't think you're getting anything of real value in return right now I think you might be able to because we've seen this at the deadline there are no defensemen that become available and so if you ended up having a guy like Scandella that was out there he's he's got a long reach he plays in his own zone at least at an average level like Justin what was his uh Jacob Middleton was a guy that we talked about two years ago Middleton's not any better than Marco Scandella. They're the same guy, and he got like a decent return at the time. I think you could get something of more value at the deadline for Marco Scandella than you can right now. Where do you fall on what the Blues are going to try to accomplish with this group this offseason? I'm kind of with you. I'm not super into moving Marco Scandella at this point, and I agree with you. I don't think he's going to get a ton in return. And when he played for you last season, he was injured a lot. But when he did play, he was one of your better defensemen and one of one of your best penalty killers, which is something that you lack right now, especially on the defenseman side of things. I still think it's most likely that the Blues will look to at least try to move one of those defensemen. And I look at Tory Krug specifically just because of how similar he is to Scott Perunovic. And if you want to get a player like Perunovic up, he needs to have opportunity to grow. And in order for him to get that opportunity, it feels like a guy like Tory Krug, it would be beneficial for him to be elsewhere for Scott Perunovich. And one team that I look at, I know in that article by Jeremy Rutherford on The Athletic, th- there's not a ton of teams out there that these players would be super interested in waiving their no trade clause for. Like yeah. we're talking about teams like Buffalo, Arizona, like none of these defensemen are going to waive their no trade clause to go there. But one team that I am curious about is the New York Islanders. Because I look at their defense, like you look at their left side defenseman right now, they have Sebastian Ajo playing on their second pairing. And it's not the good Sebastian Ajo, I'll tell you that. So I I look at that and I look at a team that struggles offensively. They're fine defensively, but they have some real struggles uh, offensively. If you trade them a guy like Tori Krug, that could be very advantageous for the Islanders. And I think it's a place that Tory Krug might look at or any of these defensemen, you know, even Nick Letty, a guy that played on the Islanders and had success there. That's a place that a player would be more likely to waive their no trade clause for a big market, a team that's competitive. That's one thing that I am curious about. And maybe there's a fit there. Maybe there's not. But I, I think the Blues, if anything, is most likely I think it's more likely that they look to move one of those top four guys in a situation like that. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, I don't know that there's a whole lot of upside to trading Marco Scandella right now because the odds are you're going to have to eat half of that salary. So you end up getting $1.6 million back in cap space. Like, okay, fine. That that doesn't do anything for you. That doesn't change anything about what you're able to do this offseason. 
if you did move a Nicoletti at $4 million per year, that changes some things. If you're able to remove $6.5 million, not just for this year, but for the next four with Tory Krug, that completely alters the way that you're able to go about this offseason. Even if you have to attach a pick to him. And this is something where I just disagree with Army. I'd, there's a few things that I'd, I wish Doug Armstrong was more open to. And listen, he's very good at his job. He doesn't need my own my recommendations. But I wish he was more open to buyouts. I wish he was more open to a no-move clause. And I wish he was more open to attaching picks to contracts to be willing to get rid of that contract from the equation. He's not. It's not what he does. It's not the way that he operates. And he's really good at this. And so he's earned the benefit of the doubt in that regard. But a guy like Tory Krug, if you got to take one, maybe even both of those first round picks late in the draft or late in the first to attach to him, to send him to the New York Islanders, man, that's six and a half million dollars over the next four years. That goes a long way. And then that's the spot that I open up for Scott Perunovich. And in the in the internal options, I've got Nick Letty and Marco Scandella that can play top four defenseman minutes for me on that left side. Is it great? No, it's it's not an ideal scenario. But having Tory Krug playing there also is not an ideal scenario right now. And at least now I've got some flexibility within my lineup, not just for next year, but for years to come that allow me to use that money elsewhere. That's the one that I think really makes sense. The problem is finding the landing spot. If yeah. the Islanders are open to it, great. I don't know if you're going to be able to find a suitor for Krug or Letty. And that's where things get really hard is you might have to just kind of run this thing back on the blue line, see what it looks like, hope at least one of these guys really takes a giant step forward. And if and when they do next year at the deadline or next offseason, that's when you're able to make this move that we're all talking about right now. I wish I had better news for people. I wish that it was going to be easier for them to move these contracts. But with the way that the salary cap is right now, everybody is searching for money. And so trying to find a team that's willing to take on six and a half million dollars in a guy in Tory Krug that's kind of damaged goods right now and is 32 years old, it's really hard to find that that suiting partner. And, and that's why I settled on Scandell, because, yes, I would look to move Letty and Krug. I, I just don't know if you're going to be able to do it. I I don't think Army's going to attach a pick to send those guys away. And I, I I'm sorry, but I have a tough time seeing any team having that much interest in Tory Krug. I, I know we've done the game of squint, and maybe you can find a way to fit him in with like the New York Islanders. I think any team that would acquire Tory Krug should be blasted for doing so when when they make that move because he's been injured the last two years. He's underperformed here in St. Louis, especially this past season, and you're paying a guy $6.5 million over the next four years. And I think the same can be said for Nick Letty. Now, he's making a little bit less money at four mil per year. That's why I think Scandell is the guy that I circle to where you trade him out. Yes, you probably are eating half that money. But again, it's just for this year. They're not going to be major players in the uh, free agent waters this year. You free up a spot for Scott Prunovich to be playing. You see what you have in Scott Prunovich. And I, I think that should be the number one thing for the St. Louis Blues this year. You've got to figure out what you have in Scott Prunovich. Is he a guy, and we talked about this yesterday, is he going to be a top four defenseman for you in the future? That's what they've got to figure out this year. And I know I'm not saying he's playing top four minutes right now. He may end up doing so. He may take in the top four and Krug plays the third pairing like he did for a lot of last year. I, I think you've got to figure out what you have in Prunovich. And I think the easiest guy to clear up a roster spot is by trading Scandella. You eat 50%, you get some sort of draft pick compensation back in return. Probably for not going to get of anything of significance That's there. fair, but a draft pick, we talked about it yesterday. Um, you trust Doug Armstrong to hit a single in the later rounds because of his drafting. Another asset, I'm willing to take yeah. that on. I, I think he basically gets you next to nothing in return. Right now, honestly. 
Here's my thing going back to Scandella, though. He's not really your problem because his contract expires after this upcoming season. We're ta- like the, the guys that are sort of the problem right now are the guys that are on these super long contracts like Krug. And I do disagree with you when it comes to any team picking up Krug would be a bad move. I don't necessarily think so. I think Krug can be an effective player on a team that's already defensively established. Like, I don't think Krug is going to have a ton of success here on a team that really needs to find themselves defensively because he's more of that offensive guy. If he goes to a team like the Islanders, that's why I kind of like that fit because the Islanders are already established defensively. They've got Pellick and Pollock. Like, they've got these guys that are big guys defensively. They don't have the offensive guy. So I think for a team like the Blues, yeah, Krug would struggle on. But a team that's really defensively sound already, I think that's why Krug had a lot of success in Boston because they were so strong defensively already that Krug could come in and be that offensive guy and not really have to worry about the defensive side as yeah. much. He, That's not the case here. He's a guy that needs cover. He, yeah. he, he needs guys that can actually be like legit top four defensemen around him, and then he just fits into a specific role on the team. I mean, you look over the last three years, he's had more than 100 points as a defenseman. That's not anything to sneeze about. There's a lot of teams that could utilize something like that. Unfortunately, the long-term contracts, the injury questions, those are going to make it difficult to be able to find a partner for him. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to ask us anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we'll get into that coming up at 1145. Paul Hoynes has been covering the Guardians for years. What does he see in Shane Bieber this season? Does it look different than previous years? Is it concerning at all? And does he expect Shane Bieber to be with the Guardians long term? We'll talk to him about that next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Paul Hoynes. He covers the Guardians for Cleveland.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Hoynesy, H-O-Y-N-S-I-E. Paul, we appreciate the time, man, ahead of this Cardinals versus Guardians series. How are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing all right. So the Guardians are an interesting team to me, Paul. I thought coming into this season, uh, they were my favorite to win that division just because of the pitching. Like they, They've got the pitching to be able to make up for any lack of offense that they may have had. But then you look at what they've done so far this year. I didn't think the offense was going to be this bad. They're last in Major League Baseball in runs per game. What the hell happened to this team, Paul? <laughs> Yeah, well, I picked them to win the division, so that put the kiss of death on them. <laughs> so that that was that's one reason they're struggling so bad. But they have they just haven't, um, you know. Last year they they had that uh, it was like that magic touch. You know, they were like the the new kids on the black block. They were playing uh, old time baseball in a uh, you know in a in a you know in an era when the home run rule that they were going first to third. They were hit, you know, stealing bases, and I th- and I think a lot of teams have kind of caught up to that 
you know, that kind of style of play that, you know, a lot of teams have adopted that style of play and uh, they just, uh, they just, it, it just hasn't worked as well as it, as it did last year. Paul, with that being said, the, the number one guy that, of course, comes up in conversation when you're talking about the Cleveland Guardians is Shane Bieber and him being potentially trade bait at the deadline. And he's he's been in this conversation for feels like the last couple of years. Uh, with the offense struggling like it has, is it possible that they're going to have to be forced to move him at the deadline to try and add to their offense to help propel them in this division and get back into the playoff hunt? Well, I think if they traded Beaver, you know, they, they've raised the white flag. They're, you know, they're not looking to be in the playoff hunt to, uh, if they trade Beaver. I mean, this is, you know, they would, uh, they would definitely take a, uh, you know, a different approach. Um, uh, you know, they, they, with the Beaver thing, you know, like you said, it's been, you know, he's been rumored to be, you know, on the market for a while. Um, you know, he's got one year left to, until he's a free agent. They have not been able to, um, you know, sign him to a multi-year deal. But, you know, they would have to get, you know, they would have to uh, get a lot to trade him because he still has one year left. Paul, when you look at the way that he's pitched this year, you look at the traditional numbers and it's like, man, he's, he's going deep into games. He's got the low ERA and the low threes once again. But you look at the, the, the newer numbers, right? The average exit velocity and the way that he's getting hit. All of that screams, oh boy, this might not be sustainable. You watch him night in, night out. You get to see him every fifth day. What have you seen from Shane Bieber so far this year? Does it look like the same guy to you? Well, you know, he, he has lost some velocity. That happened, you know, after the uh, 2020 season when he, uh, you know, won the Cy Young. His, his velos dropped, but to me, he's really become more of a pitcher. You know, he's really adapted well. He, you know, he kind of, you know, he's, he's, he fluctuates between 90, 91, 92. You know, he's, he was, his velo was up a little bit against the Mets when he threw the, you know, the complete game on Sunday against Verlander and looked great. So I think he's really pitched well as he, you know, as he ages, I think he's, he's learned how to pitch more. And to me, he's still, you know, kind of a frontline starter and, uh, I think he'd be very attractive to anybody, uh, any contender, if uh, Cleveland decides to move him. It's obviously so early, Paul, and so it's hard to have these conversations right now. But in St. Louis, the Cardinals rotation has been so bad that that's like the number one thing that everybody is trying to talk about right now, because the it's almost the opposite. It's the inverse of what the Guardians have been this year. Cardinals have this great offense, but terrible starting pitching. And so one of the names that we bring up all the time is Shane Bieber. If the Guardians got to a place where they said, you know what, it, it's just we, we cannot compete in this division this year because of our offense, what do you think they would be trying to acquire in a deal with Shane Bieber? Is this the thing where they would just try to get prospects in return? Are they a team that is going to kind of value the major league ready players more? What do you think they'd be looking for? Well, they need offense, and they've got prospects up the yin-yang. You know, they, <laughs> they've got – so they've, they've got prospects all over the place. They're the youngest team in the big leagues. They were the youngest team in the big leagues last year. They need hitters. They need some, you know, established offensive players. I think that's, that's what it would take to get Bieber. I mean, that's, that's me talking, you know, I'm sure, you know, they have a different view of this because they're the guys that have been stockpiling middle infielders for the last seven years. We've got some of those for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paul, with that that being said, I mean, talking about the the division, the AL Central, how how do the Guardians approach it? Will they approach it with guys like Shane Bieber that we're talking about, of course, 
to where, hey, we can just if we just find a way to win this division, we can get in and anything can happen. That's kind of the Cardinals mantra. We win the division, we win 90 games, and anything can happen in the postseason. Or is it, hey, we don't want to just get to the postseason. If we're going to try and make a run and hold on to a piece like Shane Bieber, whose value is high right now, we got to make sure we're a team that can go on a deep playoff run. Well, I think, you know, every, every year they have the idea of winning the division and getting to the postseason like any other team. You know, they showed that last year where they really kind of came out of nowhere, won 92 games, you know, won the wild card round and took the Yankees to, what, five games in the ALDS. So, you know, I think, you know, that that's their view. You know, if they get, like, like you just said, if they get into the postseason, anything can, anything can happen. Paul Hoynes is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can read his work over at cleveland.com. He covers the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, Paul, just a couple of quick questions on this team that we're going to be seeing going into the weekend uh, here in St. Louis. When you look at the offense that the Guardians have, I, I mean, the numbers shout out, they, they just don't have any power that can really hurt you. Has that been the biggest issue for them offensively so far? Definitely. They've, they've hit 30 home runs, you know, for the season. I think there's six teams in the big leagues that have hit more than 30 home runs in, in May alone. Oh so, God. you know, they're like, they're a pop gun offense. They, and you, they get behind and they can't come back. Uh, you know, if they do get ahead, they're, they're kind of tough to beat because they've got their bullpen has come around, you know, they've got a solid pen and their starting pitchers will keep you in the game. But, you know, they have a habit of scoring early and then giving up, you know, getting, getting behind. And, and that's pretty much, the ball game. So, uh, you know, last year they were like, they had like 40 come from behind wins. They were, you know, they were, they had 13 wins in the in extra innings and they, they just don't seem to have that feel this year. Is there any reason to pitch to Jose Ramirez with this lineup that's around him? <laughs> none, none whatsoever. <laughs> that's why he's leading the big leagues in intentional walks. He's like the, the miniature Barry Bonds right now. <laughs> Ain't no, nobody, will, nobody will pitch to him. And, uh, you know, he's kind of, you know, I think he, he's kind of having an in and out season. He's still dangerous. And Josh Naylor, I should say, you know, has, has had a couple streaks where he's helped them out. He's got 31 RBIs and he usually hits behind Jose. Uh, final thing here, Paul, before we get you out of here, as as we're looking, we're canvassing Major League Baseball for starting pitchers that can actually like throw quality starts. Is Cal Quantrill somebody that you think that the Guardians are building around right now, or do you think his name will come up in conversations this summer? Well, I think you know he's a, he's young, he's a, he's still young, he's still controllable. You know, he's kind of like the ideal uh, you know starting pitcher that teams would value. But I think the uh, Guardians like him. You know, he's really – he's kind of a gritty workhorse guy. He gets you into the sixth or seventh inning. You know, he gives – you know, he's not going to strike a lot of people out. He pitches a contact. So, I think, uh, you know, he, he's an attractive guy. One guy I, 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 I think that might be off the radar is, is Zach Plesek. He's down at AAA. They sent him down. He was in the rotation since, uh, you know, ni- 2019. He's kind of a, a sleeper maybe – for teams that and I don't think he's got a spot here. So he might be a guy that, that could draw some interest. Hey, Paul, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy watching the Cardinals offense. I, if nothing else, they'll hit for power this weekend. So you'll actually see somebody that hits for power this weekend. Good deal. Take <laughs> we'll it. see you guys. Take Thank it you. easy. That's Paul Hoynes. You can find his work over at cleveland.com. He'll be covering the Guardians this weekend as the Guardians take on the St. Louis Cardinals in Cleveland. It's Bieber versus Liberator later on this evening. Uh, T-Bone, I, 
I think what he said there, first of all, makes me feel a little better about Bieber. It, it sounds like he's going through that transition period that we see with a lot of starters where it's like, okay, stuff's not as good, but I'm figuring out ways to get guys out. If that's who he is, how do you value that kind of a pitcher? If the velocity's not coming back and the stuff is not going to be as overwhelming as it once was, do you still value that same that guy the same way that you otherwise would? Not really, okay. if I'm being honest. I, I want somebody with velocity and continued swing and miss stuff because I, I think someone like that, sounds like he just described what Miles Michaels kind of is, sure. to where he's learning to pitch and is going to, he's doing going to do a good job, throw up the solid numbers, but... I think you really need someone that's got that swing and miss stuff. I mean, we've been preaching that constantly. You need somebody that's going to miss bats. And that almost sounds like a guy that, sure, he's going to learn and develop, but that almost sounds like a guy that's kind of becoming more of a number two in my eyes, at least, and not a number one. If that is who he is and they need power, that's the other thing that I'm curious about is like, I mentioned the other day, Tommy Edman, if they, if they're just looking for power and I get it, they have 30 home runs as a team so far this year. I don't know who the headliner is in a deal like that with the Cardinals because most of the guys that they have available in the system right now are more contact hitting. Like even a Mason Wynn, who is a shiny, exciting prospect, he's not necessarily a power hitter. He's more of a defense first, great arm, speed. He's going to add a little bit of value with some pop from shortstop, but not a ton of it. I don't know that the Cardinals have a great headliner in a trade for this. I mean, it would have been Nolan Gorman. But with the way that Nolan Gorman is playing this year, I I don't think you can trade that guy. That's not somebody that I would even make available in any sort of discussions like this. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there. I, I, I think the guy that they would have to look at, and I don't know how, he can't be a guy that would center around a package. It would have to be like a Tyler O'Neill or like a Juan Yepes, someone like that that's got some pop. But I like O'Neill, I don't know why they would take him in a main kind of the piece in a package. But kind of to your point, like based on what he said, it sounds like if they're going to trade Bieber – they're going to have to be out of it and selling and almost like looking at prospects essentially. And there's not a whole lot of guys in the system. Like I was just wondering, Joshua Baez was that guy that was supposed to be, remember when he got drafted, supposed to be an outfitter with power. He's not really hitting for it. So you're right. They don't really have a guy that seems to make sense. But I, I think if you're Cleveland and if you're waving the white flag and selling off uh, Bieber, you're just looking for the best overall package. I don't know if you'd worry so much about power and just try and figure that out later on down the road. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed any of our conversation with Paul Hoynes, go ahead and check it out at the podcast page after the show today. 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, we'll have Ask Us Anything, sports or otherwise. Get your questions in now on the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to them next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start with this from the 573. Guys, what are the odds of Nolan Gorman becoming a 30-30 player either this year or at some point in his career? Assuming he's talking about stolen bases, gonna say zero. What else is- Z- zero. Nolan, Nolan Gorman's not stealing 30 or bases. Or is it 30 homers, 30 doubles? Is that... 
That he, I mean, I would assume that he's going to do. Uh, 30 yeah. stolen bases is not in the range of outcomes for Nolan Gorman. Yeah, I he agree has, with you there. He, he does have more than you'd expect. He's got four so far this season, but that's on pace for like 15 on it the year. can't be 30, though. Yeah, no, I'd, I would be shocked if he ends up getting to 30 stolen bases. Who do you... If the Cardinals had a 30 stolen base guy this year, it's probably Edmund. Who do you think finishes second on the team in steals this year? Newt? That's who I was kind of thinking was probably Newt Bar. He's probably the guy that's got the second best speed and also just uh, jump on the base path. If Odile were healthy, I mean, he's a guy that could do it, but you really don't want him running. He might get hurt again. Um, so I'd say probably Newt Bar would be two if I had to guess. Yeah, I think Newt could be a guy that ends up stealing 20 bags a year. I think that should be in his range of outcomes as a player. That I mean, if he's going to be a leadoff hitter, that's kind of the the prototype of who he should be. So I, I think Newt would probably be second on the team and then Goldie, Goldie after that. He's was, got seven so far this year, but I think that's one of those things that it'll slow down over time. I say Goldie could be a guy that could sneakily kind of work his way there. He has had a 30, or excuse me, no, he, has, he had 30 stolen base year, uh, 32 stolen bases back in 2016, but he he was, and he would agree here, younger back then. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Ask Us Anything from the 314. Guys, which St. Louis sports team do you think will win a championship next? I think the Cardinals are, well, it's hard to say because of what their record is. I don't think they're that far away from from being in legitimate championship contention. So I'll, I'll go Cardinals. I think they're the safe pick in this regard. Oh, man. I think I would tend to agree with you because they've definitely got the offensive pieces to knock on wood, hopefully perform in the postseason. Their, their pitching mark is, a, to me, as big a question mark as the Blues defense for when you're looking at how can they get back to being a championship winner. Blues, they've got four contracts. We just talked about this earlier. I was about to say, I think that's what makes it easier for the Cardinals that they don't have the contracts they're dealing I, with. I think what makes it tougher, though, is we've seen how tough it is to develop pitching in baseball. And Easy to go sign it. Exactly. It's easy to go sign it, but is that something the Cardinals are going to do? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of question marks around that rotation of what's it going to look like next year. I mean, right now you only got Michaelis and Matts, if you consider Matts even a starter, to be in that rotation. Are they going to find a way to get an ace? And even if they do, and if they spend big dollars again, and we talked about this yesterday too, you're going to be stuck with two guys making league minimum and hope that one of them ends up developing being just solid for you. So. I, I think both are very tough. I, I think I would say it probably is the Cardinals where I would lean. You guys are forgetting about the Battle Hawks. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not either. For real, though. I mean, they, yeah, they, would, have, they would have a one out of <laughs> eight you. chance of winning just because there's eight teams in the league. Look, so Don't take this personally. I'm not going to pick a minor league team to win a also, championship. They no are a professional be team, team in St. Year. Louis. They fall into the questions realm. They they count for this regard for this City question counts for this question. I, I think I think City's got a pretty good chance at possibly doing it this year. Now they still need help, but I they need Klaus back. That's their biggest. They desperately yeah. need Klaus back. I, I think they need some other pieces added to it. But I could see where they're one of those that belong in this conversation because they're in a sure. winning window literally right now. The the problem with the Battlehawks is I have no idea what their roster is going to look like next year. It doesn't just, matter. You can be four in what? What fair, did Arlington fair. go and won the championship? You have a losing record. You. The, the the tough part with the I'm going to call it minor league football because that's what it is. But I know people are going to get mad at me. It's the tough part with football. the minor league football stuff is that the 
the churn of the roster is so significant year to year. I have no idea if AJ McCarron's going to be back. I have no idea if Brian Hill's going to be back. We know there's already been, I think it's two guys from their roster that were selected by uh, NFL teams that got contracts. So I, I just don't know how I can look, point to them and say like, this is building to something. We don't even know who's going to coach the team next year. Right, yet. but it doesn't really matter because no matter what, they still have a one out of eight chance. That's fair. So <laughs> just worst case. Just alone, yeah. they technically have the best opportunity to do so. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything from the 618. Guys, what do you think about Mizzou playing its home opener on a Thursday again this year? I loved it last year. I like that they are doing it again in 2023. I like that they're getting creative with this stuff. When you have a team like Mizzou that is, let's be honest, like second fiddle during the fall to the St. Louis Cardinals, for example, you've got to find ways to get creative. And so instead of having it as a Saturday start to the season, go ahead and get it on a Thursday and let's see what it looks like. It was really fun. It it created a good atmosphere last year. You're playing South Dakota. It's not like you're going to have a big draw for that. That's a loss. So I I like them getting creative with this. They did it for Louisiana Tech last year. They'll do it for South Dakota this year. I think it's smart. I I really like it too because to your point, you're going to play second fiddle in this area during that time period. And and also too, you draw a better crowd on a Thursday playing that game than like when there's those big week one colleges where you've got like, sure. I think uh, Colorado plays like Nebraska. That's going to be a big marquee matchup because Coach Prime's first game in Colorado, or maybe it's not Nebraska. He's playing somebody good, I know. Colorado is. Yeah, whoever it is, they're going to lose. And, and this got, Colorado team's going to be historically bad. Whoa, give Coach Prime some credit. Lost half the team in the transfer portal. I, More I, than that. <laughs> Lost 65 I, I got players. Faith, but the, you've always got those big time like kickoff matchups. I think Alabama, Texas play again this year. They're a 21 point underdog currently. Ooh, that is tough. Colorado has a chance to be historically bad this year. That is tough. Um, But there's the big time matchups and then like Mizzou playing on Thursday. I think Illinois might have done this last year too. I'm not 100% certain of that, but I, I like them playing on a Thursday. Yeah, I think it's cool too, just because all those SEC teams playing on Saturday, like, let's face it, a lot of people are going to be watching Alabama or Georgia on Saturday. So when it comes to the Thursday games, it gives people a little bit more reason to watch Mizzou, which is awesome. Yeah, go ahead and get get, get yourself some prime real estate at the University of Missouri. It's, it's well worth going that direction. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including an NFL rule change that has been made that at least one prominent head coach has a big issue with. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, the Cardinals coming through in the clutch. Have they developed a clutch gene now? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we'll call it calling an audible here because there's breaking news in the NFL. The Arizona Cardinals dropping a bomb here, tweeting out, we have released DeAndre Hopkins. No what? statement with it. Just, uh, we have released DeAndre Hopkins. Didn't even thank him for his service nope, with the team? Nope, nothing. Wow. Didn't say anything else. That was it. I, I'm pretty surprised <laughs> by this. We all knew it was very possible that Hopkins had played his final down with the Arizona Cardinals. I checked 17 different times to make sure that I wasn't getting hoodwinked. I thought for sure this was one of those fake accounts that's been made now that nobody has check marks anymore. I just kind of assumed that it wasn't real. It just on a Friday, middle of the day, decided out oh, we're going to go ahead and release him. Uh, T 
T-Bone? Where's he going? Buffalo makes all the sense in the world to me. Now that you can just sign him, Kansas City would be another team to keep an eye on. Um, I I can't believe they decided just to release him. I, I thought for sure the way this was going to play out was, all right, we can't find a trade partner now. We'll wait till we get into the sure. season. We get closer to the deadline. Somebody will get desperate enough to make a trade for him. I, I think Buffalo's a team that I've got. We talked about this. This is You're getting to the point where it's time for Josh Allen to prove something. Their windows might be coming closer to an end. They've got the cap space. They can make it work potentially with DeAndre Hopkins. I, I think Buffalo's a team I would keep an eye on to potentially go get him. So the teams that have the least amount of cap space in the NFL currently include the LA Rams, the Las Vegas Raiders, the Miami Dolphins, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Buffalo Bills, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So if one of those teams at the bottom, the Bills or the Chiefs, both of whom have been rumored to be interested in DeAndre Hopkins, were to make a move like this, they would have to figure out some salary cap finagling. They'd have to figure some stuff out. Now, that's possible. We all know the, the cap is there to be broken. You can find ways to open up some space. I think the Bills and the Chiefs have to be the early favorites. One of those two teams to go ahead and sign him because they've been talked about in regards to him all offseason. Other teams, though, are going to be interested. And if you're Hopkins, he said the other day the things that he's looking for are a quarterback that loves football and is going to elevate the players around him. A front office that feels like it is a stable situation for him and a team that give him the opportunity to win. So a few spots that I could find to be pretty interesting. How about the Detroit Lions? I like that one. If you were Hopkins, would you be interested in going to Detroit? Because now it's on him as much as it is another team. If I'm Hopkins, I don't know if I will be because you said stable quarterback that elevates the guys around him. Do you really view Jared Goff as that guy? Stable front office and a quarterback quarterback that loves football. That loves football. Well, I think think Goff Goff loves football, but I, I don't know if he's a guy that I would trust to like... Hey, if I can sign anywhere, I want to go play with Jared Goff. I, I don't know if I'm having that conversation. I, I think a team to potentially keep an eye on is San Francisco. San Francisco's got some cap what space. What about the quarterback situation? That's fair. I, it's probably the, it's the same conversation. But I don't I, know who their quarterback is right now. Same conversation. I don't wouldn't trust Goff, but you, you know Kyle Shanahan, great head coach. You you suspect he's going to figure it out. That's Man, why I throw them out there. Yeah. I, I don't know that they value wide receivers enough to go make this move on a multi-year deal. Uh, Green Bay is one that could be interesting if he trusts Jordan Love. I don't know that I would do that if I'm him. What about the Jets? That's what that's the one that I was going to bring up next. Because they're a team that yeah. is just starting to become competitive again. If they want to be competitive for a long time, they don't have a superstar obvious receiver. He Man. could be that. Yeah. I, I mean, it. it makes all the sense in the world. Given the way that they're building right now, if, if I was the Jets, I I would be throwing whatever it took. I mean, you're all in right now. You've got two years, basically, to make this thing work. Add as many weapons as you possibly can. Make Aaron Rodgers as happy as you possibly can. Try to see if you can make it work. In their cap space, they, they could make it work. Yeah, and they, they could do it right now if they really wanted to. And they really wanted Odell, and they missed out on that. Because remember, mm-hmm. that was one of the, if I'm not mistaken, one of the guys that Aaron Rodgers said, I'm coming here, but you got to get... My homeboy, Randall Cobb, and also Odell Beckham. I could see where Hopkins would make a ton of sense for them. Somebody mentioned the Cowboys. That's another one that could be really interesting. 
I really think it comes down to whether or not they trust Michael Gallup to be healthy this year. Because if they do, you don't really need him. You've got CeeDee Lamb. You've, you traded for Brandon Cooks this offseason, and you've got Michael Gallup coming back from injury. He looked a step slow last year. He's coming off of a significant knee injury. But if they don't trust him to get back to form, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. If they do, maybe they go in a different direction. But the Cowboys are a team that I think is is always looming large when there's a, a superstar free agent that has come available. What about a team that could has a young quarterback and is looking to potentially take the next step in the Chicago Bears? They've got a ton of cap space. I would do it if I'm the Bears. I'm not sure if I would do it if I'm Hopkins. Just because there's still question. I love Justin Fields. I like him more than I think most do. There are still legitimate questions about him as a thrower of the football. Totally fair. Totally fair. I, I threw them out there because they're a team that I think makes sense to bring him in uh, to your point though i don't know how he would view that you know situation. what another one is what about jacksonville i thought about that one i i don't know if they have a stable enough front office situation to be willing to go there but jacksonville could be interesting i would kind of respect deandre hopkins if he went there it's some semi near his home he's he went to school in clemson he's from the the, the southeast so you've got the regional connection there which may or may not matter Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, that's a really nice one, too. You add in um, a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, that's a really good three-wide receiver set. They've got a superstar young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence that does elevate the guys around him, and you feel like that's a team that can and should win. They're clearly the favorite in that division going into the season. I could see Jacksonville being a bigger player here than people are expecting. If you had to place a bet on one team, say the odds are even, he's going to go somewhere. Where do you think he ends up? I, I would bet Kansas City. I, I think they Hell make. Yeah, I, th- I think they make too much sense. They they clearly need a number one guy, and he's talk. I mean, you want to talk about a quarterback that loves football? Mahomes is definitely that guy. Stable front office. That's the Kansas City Chiefs. You bring him in. I, I talk about a just dynamic duo, but between him and Travis Kelsey with Mahomes thrown to those guys, I, I would bet on the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they make too much sense. Team that we haven't mentioned that we need to. L.A. Rams. No. Oh, the Colts? The Philadelphia Eagles. Oh. Always keep the Eagles in mind when there's a star player that becomes available. Always. They're like the Vegas Golden Knights of you, the NFL. You know how he's going to be interested. Now, I don't think they need him. Their, their wide receiver core is very good. But imagine if their wide receiver core just added in DeAndre Hopkins this year. So last year they could really do something like this because that big Jalen Hurts extension is going to come up uh, here pretty soon. Keep them in mind as well. Apparently, Adam Schefter just tweeted this yep. out. He was on a podcast recently and said the quarterbacks that he would like to catch passes from the most would be Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert. I don't think the Chargers can do this. Um, they they really need speed, and he is not a guy that's going to win with any sort of speed. I don't know that the Ravens can or would do this. They've already got a lot of wide receivers that they've added to the mix there. I think it really is Josh Allen with the Bills, the Eagles, and then the Chiefs. I, Those three teams would make sense. I, I can't see him and uh, Stephon Diggs really meshing that well together, though. And then that's kind of why I... How come? Though it makes sense, because let's just be, Diggs is a hothead, and Hopkins is a guy that wants the ball as well. Like, I could see total friction happening there. Does it make sense on paper? And yes, he wants to catch balls from Josh Allen. 
yes. I, I think that could end up being one of those where it's like on paper, you play the video game, man. It's like, man, that's going to be a really good team. And then just for whatever reason, it just never comes together. I bet if he if it comes out that he really wants to go to the Bills, I bet the Jets try to swoop in because that would be their worst nightmare is for him to go to Buffalo and that team just be that of an offense. Like, that's exactly what the Jets don't want. So I wonder if they would make a push at that point. This rarely happens. So I can't believe I'm really asking this question. Does DeAndre, if he is choosing, like, let's say it's in the end and it's like a number one overall recruit, like you're, you're doing this television show and you've got the two hats that are on the table and the two hats that are showing are the Bills and the Chiefs. Does DeAndre Hopkins' decision change the course of the AFC this year? Like, if he goes to Kansas City, the Chiefs are the favorite. If he goes to the Buffalo Bills, they're the favorite. Would it feel that way for you? No. Because it would for me. I don't know if it would for me because I think the Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC. Even if he ends up in Buffalo. Yeah, because I I just don't trust Josh Josh Allen to where if I don't trust your QB, I'm not going to pick you to be the favorite. So I would say, no, I don't think he has a big enough swing to say this team signs him. They become the favorite to win it because Kansas City gets him. Well, I already view Kansas City as the team to beat in the AFC. A team that just came to mind, and I don't know if I doubt they have the cap space to make it work, but the Bengals. I mean, if you talk about a team that is steady and a quarterback that you want to catch passes from, like that's a place I I know that they have a lot of changes coming with their receiving core because they have a lot of contracts up. Right. So it's something that just crossed my mind, too. But I mean, if I'm DeAndre Hopkins and I want to go somewhere with a good quarterback that's stable, like Cincinnati would probably be in the top three. I would as well. I don't think they feel like they need another receiver because they've got Boyd. They've got Chase. They've got Higgins. I think their three wide receiver sets are are set. And there is some this is where I like I love the the number side of things and like add stars to my team. I'm always interested in doing that. I don't know that it makes sense for them with the way that Jamar Chase plays. He is the guy that wins with like the possession receiver by going up and getting the ball. Same thing is true of Higgins. I don't know that you need three of those guys. I I think it is good to have one guy that can win across the middle, and that's what Boyd is for their offense. So I don't know that he makes sense for them. But I mean, yeah, if you added DeAndre Hopkins, you're a better team because you you figure it out. You've got D-Hop there. I think that this would change the outcome of the AFC for the Chiefs or the Bills, one of those two teams. If he decided between those two teams, whoever he goes to, I think would be then the favorite. Um, And I know that sounds kind of hot takey. I I don't feel like it is. DeAndre Hopkins is a real difference maker. I mean, he's still one of the six or seven best wide receivers in the NFL. He was just released and he's going to sign with somebody that's a contender. That does not happen. What we're watching right now is unprecedented, really, in recent modern history that I can recall. So this is this is a huge, huge story. Somebody on the text line from the 314 said, so with no information, you guys are wasting time on what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins. He was just released. Why? And why would you speculate on what team is going to get him? Here's why. One, they released him because the Cardinals are incompetent and they released him because there's really no way for them to get a significant return for him right now. They've been trying to do that now for three months. There's no takers because the salary is too bloated. The only way that they were going to get something of really something of value in return was by waiting into the middle of the season. And if they do that, it eats into their cap situation for this year and for years to come because you can roll cap over in the NFL. Why is he being released? That's why. Why are we talking about where he's going to go next? Because now he is available with no strings attached to any team in the NFL, and he has stated publicly he would like to go play for a contender. 
Bets could alter the course of the 2023 NFL season. It is huge news. That's why we spent some time Th- on it. This is like, we, we've talked about Shane Bieber all day. This would be like if Shane Bieber just got like released for no yeah. reason. And everybody was like, whoa, that guy's available. Well, he could totally change the course for us in Major League Baseball in, because he's a starting pitcher. That That's why we talk about it because he's that much of a difference maker and he can still play. He was awesome last year for a really bad team when he came back from his suspension. Yeah, I, I will be fascinated to see what happens. Uh, there's another report that just came out that basically said, hey, guys, uh, there are no official transactions until Tuesday. So this Cardinals announcement could be basically a last ditch effort for teams to be calling with their best potential efforts to step up a potential trade. That could be where the Jets come in, too, where they say, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. The Bills are going to be at the top of his list. Let's go ahead and get a, a fifth round pick for a conditional situation for next year the problem is that a lot of teams just can't make it work the money's too tight right now in the nfl so that's the latest if you missed it deandre hopkins has officially been released by the arizona cardinals that announcement has been made today it sounds like it will not be made quote-unquote official until early next week my guess is they'll do this with a if for the nerds out there post june 1 designation which basically means accounts for half of the cap hit this year half of it next year that's the way they'll make the money work coming up in about 15 minutes or so do team do fans actually want to see these non-traditional teams succeed florida panthers in the nhl the miami heat uh the denver nuggets do you actually want to see that or would we rather see the teams that we've kind of grown to know and love or hate? The Lakers, the Celtics. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Cardinals are starting to come through in the clutch in a big way. Are they developing a clutch gene? That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Back down the line, fair ball, that's in the corner of the Cardinals' breakthrough. Gorman does pick up his 40th RBI, it comes in the eighth, it's one to nothing, St. Louis. Ball gets away, here comes Gorman, he's going to score! The ball gets away again, and the Cardinals have him first and third on a check swing miss. Thank you, it's two to nothing. Not going to make it any bigger than it is, and he runs towards those type of uh, scenarios where... He likes being counted on, which is a good trait to have, but he's done a really nice job. Man, you remember the first month of the season when we were talking about how the Cardinals were incompetent with runners in scoring position, and maybe this is just the way that it's going to go. Hasn't been that way over the last 30 days or so. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. As Nolan Gorman comes through once again yesterday, and T-Bone, this is something that I just expect at this point. When he's coming up late in a game, especially in a clutch situation, down by a run, up by a run, need to add some insurance, Nolan Gorman always seems to come through. Fangraphs tracks a stat called high leverage situations, which basically means what you think it does. Like late, close, you got a game that's kind of switching on this pivotal moment of the game. What does that player do? Well, when Nolan Gorman comes up in those situations, he's 7 for 18 at the plate, and all of those hits have gone for extra bases. Three doubles, four homers, and not, uh, 12 RBIs in those 18 at-bats. He's one of the best clutch performers so far in all of Major League Baseball this year. The thing that stands out to me, though, is it's not just him. 
Nolan Gorman in these spots, 1,600 OPS. Paul DeYoung, 1,300 OPS. Brendan Donovan, in OPS in high leverage situations, over 1,000. Lars Newbar's over 1,000 in these spots. Paul Goldschmidt's at about 760. Like, the Cardinals as a team in these high leverage moments, for whatever reason, and it's small sample size for all of them, seem to come up with the clutch hit when they really need it. T-Bone, is this a skill? Is this something that you feel good about with the St. Louis Cardinals right now? I, I do. I, I think it is a skill, and there's it, it's tough to kind of, and I don't think every guy has it. I mean, look at, like, Alan Craig. He's always the guy, I, guy I look to. Always seemed to come through with runners in scoring position when he was here in St. Louis. He was awesome and had that clutch gene. And I, I see it all the time on our text line when we're talking about the offense is, oh, they may be hitting now, but they don't have the clutch gene I mean, you just write off the numbers. They're doing it. Nolan Gorman this year, 19 of his 40 RBIs have come in the eighth inning or later. There's Amazing. something to be said about that. That That is coming through in the clutch when there is more pressure on you late in game. So I think they have it. Now, I think there's a difference between doing it here in the regular season and carrying it over into the postseason. I think that's where they can kind of lose that um, bugaboo that's been talked about around this team for the last handful of years is they don't have anybody that's clutch in the postseason. Grant's still very small sample size over the last two years. But I think they've got guys that can do that. Like you said, I, I trust Nolan Gorman. If he's coming up in a late-game spot, he's going to find a way to help the Cardinals, whether that means he's just getting on base or he's driving in a run or hitting a home run. Same can be said for Lars Newport. I didn't even realize his numbers were that good until we were talking about this in the office this morning. He's definitely one of those guys that can do what the team needs in late-game situation. And for all the flack that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato get, I trust those guys to come through in big-time situations because that's what they're paid to do, and they are superstar-caliber players. When you look at what this team has done with runners in scoring position, they're 13-5 and five in their last 18 games, and it's not a surprise as to how this is happening. Yes, texters, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, game three against the Reds. Cardinals left a bunch of runners on. We're terrible with runners in scoring position. Yes, there will be individual games where that happens. There will be moments where they don't come through, and there will be moments probably in the postseason where it drives you absolutely bonkers watching Nolan Arenado come up with the bases loaded and one out, and he strikes out, and then the next guy up is Wilson Contreras. Two outs, bases are loaded, and he hits a fly ball into right field, and it doesn't end up scoring anybody. That's going to happen because that's just the way that baseball works. But since May 7th, which is... About three weeks of baseball now where you're 13 and five in your last 18 games, you're batting 333 with an OPS over a thousand with runners in scoring position. Second best in Major League Baseball Cardinals, of course, are first is the Boston Red Sox at a 920 OPS. You go below them. It's about an 850 OPS for third. So you're 150 points better than the third best team when it comes to OPS with runners in scoring position. The gap between you and third is the same as the gap between third and 16th. That's how good the Cardinals have been recently with runners in scoring position. And a lot of that is because of what we're seeing from Nolan Gorman, who is developing right before our very eyes into a star caliber Major League Baseball player. This is what it looks like. When you watch a guy go from pretty good to, oh, he's arrived. Nolan Gorman is a middle-of-the-order bet that the Cardinals developed within their system that took basically one year of adjusting to big league pitching, and now he looks like one of the better hitters in the sport. What we're watching right now reminds me so much with Gorman of what we saw towards the end of last season with Albert Pujols. 
any time that Albert came up to the plate, it didn't matter the situation. I assumed he was going to do something good. Like, I just, I thought there was no way that this guy is going to record an out. Now, he did. Like, more often than not, Albert did not get on base in the second half of the season. But it felt when he was at the plate that you were going to watch something magical. And yes, a lot of that had to do with him chasing 700 and the way that he went about it. But a lot of it was just, he was one of the best hitters in baseball in the second half of the season last year. And we asked all offseason, okay, the offense was great in the second half, but that also included Paul Goldschmidt being great and Nolan Arnato being awesome and Lars Newpar having this resurgence and Albert Pujols being a guy that was a top five hitter in baseball. How do you replace that? Because you didn't go out and get Wilson Contreras to replace what you had in the second half of last year with Albert. It's not reasonable. They ended up replacing him with a guy they already had, and that was with Nolan Gorman. Nolan Gorman has replaced what Albert was production-wise for me last year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He's done it, and he's doing it, as you said. When he comes to the plate, you expect him to come through in that moment. He He's taking over, and if he's able to do it for the full season and not just a half like Albert Pujols said. This was my whole the whole point for me when signing Contreras in the offseason was, is he going to be at the level of Albert Pujols' production? I don't know if it'll end up saying the same thing on his baseball reference page by the time the year is done, but the hope is that he's able to do it from the start of the season all the way to the end, unlike Albert, who really did it just in the second half. That's what you're seeing from Nolan Gorman right now. At the start of the season, he's putting up the production that you really need in this lineup to be that third impact bat and come through in the situations that we're talking about. Now it's just a matter of will he continue it into the September months into playoff baseball in October, and I think he will. I mean, there's no signs of regression right now from Nolan Gorman. He's going to go through a spell where he ends up going cold. That's going to happen. That happens to everybody. But there's no sign of, hey, here's how you're clearly going to beat Nolan Gorman. Last year it was, okay, throw a fastball up in the zone, you're going to beat Nolan Gorman. This year it's not. He's cut down his chase rate. He's doing a nice job of putting contact to ball, and he's cut down the strikeout rate as well. So there's no sign that right now this is going to fall off for Nolan Gorman. I I think this is legit. This is what's going to be Nolan Gorman through his career here in St. Louis. I think that what we're watching right now is a star being born. He's on pace for 40 home runs and 125 RBIs. I don't have the list in front of me of what Cardinals have done that at age 23 or younger, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say Albert's on that list and like one or two other guys in the history of the Cardinals organization. Those are absurd numbers. And oh, by the way, as we mentioned earlier, he does have so far four stolen bases this year. So he could end up with like 15 stolen bases this year as well. We're we're watching a guy that's just doing stuff that you don't see from players his age. You don't see it. And so for him to be able to do it at this age, at this level and hitting for this much power, boy, it it really changes the complexion of the middle of the order. I was a guy that said all offseason, I, I was not saying the Cardinals should trade Nolan Gorman. But the reason why I thought the Cardinals might trade Nolan Gorman is because I thought other teams might see this as well, the potential for him to be this kind of a player. And when you have this kind of potential, the reason why another team would trade for it is to have this happen for them. And so like in a Sean Murphy type of a trade, for example, Nolan Gorman's the type of player that could have headlined that in the offseason. You look at what you could potentially get at this year's trade deadline. The Cardinals will not do this, but if he was just having a season kind of closer to what he was last year and he was just a a really nice young hitter that hits for a little bit of pop, you could have had him as a headliner in a trade for one of these starters that we're talking about. Gorman is playing so well right now. He is, I think you could argue, the most untouchable player now for the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know that there's anybody that has more value to the future of the Cardinals organization right now than Gorman. 
And yes, I'm including Jordan Walker in that because we're seeing proof of concept right now with Nolan Gorman. He has an OPS over and over the first 50 games of this season. Jordan Walker, I think, can be a great player. Not good, great. We haven't seen it yet in the big leagues. Not to this degree. I think he will get there. But right now, I think your most untradeable player, lefty bat, this kind of pop, is hitting for average, gets on base, everything you want from a position player, Gorman has. I think he's probably your most untradeable asset right now because of what he's done to start out this season. I think I would agree, and I think Walker's probably right behind him. But, yeah, I mean, you're seeing it here at the Major League level, and that that's the biggest reason why. I mean, he is very close to right now. I don't think he's going to finish what the, these numbers close to being the 300-400-500 club yep. in terms of 300 batting average, 400 on base, and a 500 slug. So I, I think he is the most untouchable piece for the St. Louis Cardinals, and Jordan Walker's behind him because though you saw some signs of it here at the Major League level, there was clearly stuff that needed to be worked on in terms of getting the ball up in the air more. And for Nolan Gorman, lack of shifting. It's its clear it's helped him. I mean, you can see his spray chart. He's definitely hitting where there would be a shift uh, in last year's uh, if there were no shifting rules. So I, I think definitely he's the guy that's untouchable because everybody's looking for a left-handed power bat like this. He's essentially got power of Joey Gallo that doesn't strike out as much and hits yeah. for like a 297 batting average like he is right now. This guy's a unicorn. Well, what you're watching right now is a legitimate unicorn. All right, here's the entire list of players age 23 or younger to hit at least 40 home runs in a season with 120 or more RBIs and at least 10 stolen bases, which I think feels reasonable. He's, he's got four right now. You could get six the rest of the year in the next 115 games or whatever. I think 10 feels reasonable for Gorman this year. How many are there? Three. Oh, let me the, guess. It, this is not Cardinals. This and, is the history of baseball. So Albert, I would guess, is one. He didn't get to the 10 stolen bases. Oh, he was sneaky. No, uh, not like this. Man, I, 40 home. Who would have been fast enough to? A-Rod. Oh, okay. Young A-Rod. I could see that. Jose Canseco. I, I would never have guessed that. Orlando Cepeda. Really? That's the entire list. Cepeda, Canseco, and A-Rod. And it's possible, possible, if he stays healthy, continues hitting at this level, that Nolan Gorman is the fourth to ever do that. That is historical comparisons right there in terms of what he could potentially be. He ain't going to be A-Rod. Don't expect him to be. Let's Truly, not put I've, that on I've those kind of expectations on him. That's my expectation but for that's now That's the kind of season right now that Nolan Gorman is putting together. Do you do you think right now that Jordan Walker is in the same spot that Nolan Gorman was in last year yeah. and he could have the same sort of uh, results next year as Gorman is having right now? Absolutely. Yeah, that's why you stay patient with these guys. That's why the Cardinals preach patience. Now, I think sometimes they preach it too long. Like O'Neal? Yeah. Tyler O'Neal, we saw him do it for a season, but every other season of his career, he's been a below-average hitter. Nolan Gorman had a above-average first season. Like, not relative to his age, relative to the rest of the league. He was an above-average hitter last year. And this year he came in and, boom, hit the hit the ground running. I think the exact same thing could be true next year for Jordan Walker. I think he's going to come back up at some point this year, much like Nolan Gorman did after being sent down after his first stretch of struggles. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if he ends up having success down the stretch. He's been heating up uh, the last, like, week or two down in AAA. He's hitting for more power. We're starting to see the... The stuff that he was working on is starting to now work in games. I think we could absolutely see him next year with an OPS at or above 800, which would be a really nice first full season for him in the big leagues. I think that's possible. I I would agree with that, too. I I think it's definitely possible Jordan Walker can be that guy that can come up next year because 
though he was hitting the ball on the ground a lot, you did see some very encouraging signs in terms of just hitting the ball really hard. And when he did get it up in the air, it led to good results for him. And he does need to work on his chase rate. But as we saw, the Cardinals were able to make that adjustment with Nolan Gorman. So I, I think he could definitely be a guy that comes up here Maybe not this year. I think this year would be one of those years where maybe you see hints of it again when he comes back up. But I think next year after a full off season of working on stuff could be what Nolan Gorman does. Somebody on the text line. Can you guys please repeat that? Gorman would be the fourth to do what achievement? Just mo- tuned in and missed what you were saying. Nolan Gorman right now is on pace for at least 100, or 40 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 10 stolen bases. There have been three players in Major League Baseball history to accomplish that feat at his age or younger. Orlando Cepeda. Jose Canseco and A-Rod. The last time that anybody accomplished this was 25 years ago when A-Rod did it in 1998. That is what we are watching right now. At least the on-pace numbers for Nolan Gorman. Coming up next, do you actually root for non-traditional teams to succeed or do we just like to say that? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Denver Nuggets fans are very mad about the way that their team is being talked about nationally. And I get it. They're getting discounted in a way that I think is a little bit unfair. First, it was hey, nobody believes in them to beat the L.A. Lakers, despite the fact that even as a LeBron guy, I can admit the Nuggets were the better team by a large margin going into that series. They should have been heavily favored both nationally and locally. And then you look at it now and after the series, it's all about it. What's going to happen with the Lakers? What happened to the Lakers? How did they fall apart this way against the Denver Nuggets? When it should be about, yo, Nikola Jokic is probably the best player in the NBA right now. And Jamal Murray looks like he's potentially one of the better, like, number two players that we've seen for a championship contending team in recent years. And you look over on the Eastern Conference side of things, and instead of people talking about the Miami Heat and the impressive run that they've been on, The conversation has been, can the Boston Celtics come back? What's going to happen with Tatum and with Jalen Brown if this ends up imploding for the Boston Celtics? It always tends to veer towards the historical teams, right? And that's the way that this goes. It's the same thing in the NHL. When the Florida Panthers beat the Boston Bruins, it wasn't about the Florida Panthers. It was about the Boston Bruins melting down. You look over in the Western Conference, you don't have this to the same degree right now because there wasn't really that like traditional contender. But you kind of see that with Edmonton whenever they lose in the postseason and how we break that down. The reason I bring all that up is because I think fans a lot of the time talk about how they want these non-traditional contenders to get to the postseason and then to succeed once they get there. But once we actually get it, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament when you have the Cinderella and you got the final four matchups. Nobody ends up watching. You get St. Peter's in a, a late portion of the tournament. You're like, yeah, that was really fun the first weekend. I don't really need to see them anymore. Give me UConn. Give me North Carolina. Give me Duke. I want to see the big boys here. And so I say all of that to listen to what Chris Mannix had to say the other day. He writes for Sports Illustrated. He's an NBA reporter. And he was talking on the Rich Eisen show about why he doesn't find the Denver Nuggets compelling and why he spends so much of his time and why he thinks the national media spends so much of their time talking instead about teams like the Celtics or the Lakers. The card the Nuggets can play is nobody talks about us. Nobody, you know, spends airtime discussing us, column inches writing about us because frankly 
the Nuggets aren't very interesting. Like Nikola Jokic is arguably the best player in the game right now, but he's not someone that does a lot of interviews outside of the NBA mandated stuff. He's not going to see a lot of profiles on Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray, great player, not especially interesting. Michael Porter Jr., excellent player, not especially interesting, at least not compared to what we have at the bottom of the playoff bracket where you've got drama in Los Angeles almost weekly. You've got the Suns. Can they succeed in this first year with Kevin Durant? The Warriors, all their dysfunction this year. The Clippers, can they get it together? The Nuggets problem is they're not respected. They're just not talked about. People just don't find them as interesting as some of the teams on the bottom half of the bracket. So that was Chris Mannix's take on the Rich Eisen show. What he's talking about there is what people fall into in baseball as well, where they end up talking about the Padres every day or the Mets every day or the Phillies every day, instead of talking about the teams that are actually performing well this year. Like, for example, the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 37 and 15 right now with a run differential of plus 114, or the Texas Rangers, who are quietly leading the AL West with a 31 and 18 record and a run differential of plus 112. Those are the best teams in baseball right now. Those are the teams that we should probably be talking a little bit more about but they don't get the coverage because they're not on the coast and they don't have the superstars that some of these other teams have, even though the Texas Rangers do have Corey Seager. They did pay Simeon a lot of money. They did go out and sign Jacob deGrom this past offseason. But even still, they don't get the same love as some of these other teams because we cover sports like soap operas now. We look into the off-court conversations. We look into the transactions People are as interested in that stuff as they are the actual on-field products now or the on-court products now. If we exclusively cared about the on-court stuff, we'd be talking ad nauseum about Nikola Jokic and what he's accomplished so far in the postseason, where I think he's averaging now a triple-double. Yeah, We'd be talking about Jimmy Butler, who is putting together one of the more impressive postseason performances that I've seen from an individual carrying a team to the po- to the NBA Finals, potentially, since Dwayne Wade did it with the same Miami Heat team in 06, I think it was, like more than 15 years ago now. But that's not the way that people cover sports anymore. I don't know if that's right, wrong, and different. I don't know if that's driven by the readers or the listeners or the viewers. But that's where we're at right now, especially with the NBA, maybe more so than any other sport. It's the drama that ends up getting covered more than the actual games. Yeah, dra- drama's the driving force in, it feels like, almost every league now. Like, la- last year, Kachuk was all the rage in, in the offseason. Where's he going to go? He's going to be traded. Johnny Gaudreau, what's going to happen to him? And now he's, like, in Florida, and it's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, Kachuk's been playing well, but you don't really care about when the When was the last Panthers. time you had a conversation about Johnny Gaudreau? It was last offseason. Yeah. Nobody talked about him this year. I haven't talked about him since he went to Columbus. I had one brief conversation where it's like, why'd he go to Columbus? And... and <laughs> Now I haven't talked about them since. So I I think people really enjoy just kind of the drama to what you're talking about. Like, look at the Cardinals. They're put, Now, look, their records, it's hard to throw them in this conversation. But when you talk about the St. Louis Cardinals, when were they really getting buzz? When there was controversy around them with Wilson Contreras. Otherwise, outside media didn't really care. They're not talking about the St. Louis Cardinals now Cardinals playing better bad. baseball. Let's move on. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> the end of the conversation. And, and it's the same thing for all these other smaller market teams, unless you're on the coast, as you said. So I, I think that's just for whatever reason, that's where we've gotten to. Because I, I personally love watching the underdog stories. Like you mentioned the uh, St. Peter's run that happened a couple years ago. Like everybody enjoys it the first time. 
that second game comes on, you hope they lose. Let's just be honest. Most people do. I root for them. I, I love underdog stories. I love the fact that we're seeing these smaller teams like the Denver Nuggets. They're a really good team. I'm glad they're in the NBA Finals because it's the first time I think they're there in franchise history, if I'm not mistaken. And they've got one of the best players, and though we don't talk about him, it's incredible what he's doing. He is averaging a triple-double this year in the playoffs, and he's averaging 30 points a game. So he's amazing, dude. I, I enjoy these kind of stories. I, I understand how national media doesn't get to it because it's kind of short attention span. And what do you want to hear? You want to hear about superstars. You want to hear about the big big market teams. Why the Toronto Maple Leafs are a bigger story than what's happening in the NHL playoffs right now. Yeah, I, I'm serious. They are the biggest story in hockey. You listen to any national hockey podcast, they will lead with the Toronto Maple Leafs, whatever the most recent thing is there. Because there's a chance they lose one of their four core stars via free agency or trade. You probably won't talk about next year. Correct. And there is a GM conversation that's taking place right now where their old GM was like a national figure, international figure. And now he might take the Pittsburgh job and they're going to end up hiring somebody else. Same reason why Doug Armstrong became a thing. Because people are like, oh, that'd be interesting. What if this sitting general manager at a really good hockey program here in St. Louis decided I'm going to take my talents up to Toronto. All of this stuff is all like, it's all related with the way that these sports are covered right now. It felt like for a little while that Doug Armstrong was being talked about just as much as Sergei Bobrovsky was in that Florida series, which is wild to me. And I'm with you, Tanner. Like I'm one of the type of people that I love watching these underdog stories or the small markets win because you don't see it all that often. And I love this for Florida, even though they don't, you know, they they don't have the reputation of being a great fan base. And you look at the crowds that they have and the atmospheres, like they're electric atmospheres right now down in Florida. So I love to see it from them and just in general like in the NHL this season a lot of the big teams were out fast like Boston was out Toronto was out in the second round like you look at the final four you have Dallas Vegas Carolina and Florida like none of those teams are huge markets I'd say Vegas is probably the biggest but I mean they've only been around for five years so it is nice to see different teams get in there and I'm glad to not be seeing Boston in there again but I will say this too If you look at what the Blues did in 2019, and obviously it's local for us, but nationally, it was fun watching teams root for the, just like national writers root for the Blues because it was going up against a big market. Like everybody was hating on Boston that whole time. That was kind of fun. I do think it is more fun when you're rooting for a small market team going up against a big team. Instead of two small market teams going up against one another. We've seen stuff like that. Like who was it that K-State ended up playing this year in the tournament? It was two like kind of smaller, quote-unquote, market teams. right? No, it was on the other side of the bracket. It doesn't matter. But when those two teams end up getting pitted against one another, two Cinderella stories end up getting pitted against one another, that's when things get a little dicey and there's a lack of interest there. The thing that really stands out to me about like, – it's kind of different with the Panthers compared to – uh, the Denver Nuggets. I respect the way that both of them constructed their rosters, but I almost like appreciate what the Nuggets did even more. It's because theirs is all basically developed internally. Yeah, like they developed Nikola Jokic into this player. They acquired him in the draft. He was literally drafted while there was a Taco Bell commercial taking place during the NBA draft in the mm. second round. This is not like a LeBron James type of a, of a story. Drafted him in the second round, he just developed into arguably the best player in the NBA. I loved, absolutely loved Jamal Murray at Kentucky. He was like a second-tier player in his draft, though. He was the seventh overall pick, and then he came back from a serious knee injury after missing 18 months, and this season was fantastic for them, averaging 20 points per game, 
And then he took that up another level once they got into the postseason. They draft Michael Porter Jr. despite all of his back issues that he took that took place with him in college. They end up making a big deal to be able to get an Aaron Gordon or a Contavious Caldwell Pope. They bring in these role players that have been huge for them. I gave you crap the other day, T-Bone, about Aaron Gordon. He's not some like game changer, but he's a nice piece to have as like a fourth option for you on a team. Good defender, can score a little bit, helps you with the rebounds. They just constructed a roster that it kind of reminds me of San Antonio, where the Spurs had all of that success over the years by having homegrown talent and being really smart and judicious with the way that they go about spending their money in the offseason. I think we're watching the, the most recent version of that, kind of an evolved version, because Jokic is so special when it comes to his playmaking, and that's not fun to talk about for people. And that is where it gets less interesting, whereas the Panthers do have some of the the sex appeal of going out and making that massive move of trading a 100-point player, trading a number one defenseman for Matthew Kachuk, who could be the best player in the sport. That is far more appealing to people than what's happening right now in Denver. That is more in the vein of, like, I guess the Miami Heat, where they ended up getting Jimmy Butler, but I don't know that there's really an equivalent right now in the NBA of what they did. Yeah. It would be like if the Celtics this offseason traded Jalen Brown and ended up getting something significant in return for Jalen Brown. And ended up helping them win and get to the next finals, year. too, next year as well. So, But yeah, I, I I like these underdog stories. To your point, I love the Denver story because they drafted and developed those guys, and that's what smaller market teams have to do. They have to do that because they're not going to win the free agency battles in basically any sport that doesn't have a cap. I know NHL has a cap, so it's a little bit different, but when you look at the NBA and you look at baseball, you, you've got to basically develop internal uh, talent because the big markets, they can spend to solve their problems. And and that's why I find myself kind of the underdog, rooting for the underdog, because I don't like seeing those teams just spend money willy-nilly to go fix their problems. That's why I like teams that are able to develop their own talent. That's why I had respect and still have respect for what Golden State's done in developing Curry and Thompson and Draymond Green in their system. Somebody says Jokic is basically the NBA equivalent to Paul Goldschmidt or Mike Trout. That's That's a really good comparison. Just excellent at everything. To your yeah. point, too, about talking about just the sex appeal that goes into the big trades with, you know, bringing in Kachuk and even Bobrovsky a few years ago from Columbus. Everybody's talking about that, but nobody's talking about the reclamation projects that Florida brought in. The Carter Verhage, who just three years ago, people were saying that he was going to be a career AHL player. Brandon Montour, who spent like seven years in hockey hell in Buffalo and in Anaheim, and now he's having this great playoffs with Florida. And there's other players, too. Sam Bennett, who spent years in Calgary being a mid player, and now he's having a lot of success. Sam Reinhart, who went through his years in Buffalo, and now he's having success. Like, nobody's talking about that. And that's just as big. Their contributions mean just as much to that team. That's what Matthew Kachuk and Sergey Bobrovsky are doing. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals pitching should give the offense a little bit more breathing room in this series. And it has very little to do with my confidence in the Cardinals pitching staff. We'll get to that coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, time for di- time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week.
Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, how would you feel if for the rest of your life you could buy as much pizza as you wanted and you wouldn't have to pay a dime for it until you died? I'm in. Once you're dead, you got to be able to pay off all of the pizza that you consumed while oh, you were I'm living. Because I'd eat too much pizza. But it is not paid for while you are still here. The reason I bring this up is because a place called Hell Pizza. Now, this is in New Zealand, so it's pretty far away. But New Zealand is offering a new afterlife pay at a pizza place called Hell's Pizza. It's a pay or buy now, pay later scheme is what they call it. Now, there's some underlying issues that are involved it with this kind of stuff. sounds like a scheme. It is. There's some stuff that is involved with this, and it's life's gotten a little more difficult in New Zealand. They got a whole lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I'm actually kind of into this. This idea that I could just continuously buy stuff basically on a credit card that is only charged after I'm dead. That I, I don't really see care how, about at that point. Yeah, I could see how it could be problematic. <laughs> like, yeah. You rack up such a bill that now your kids are saddled with the fact that you spent $100,000 in pizza over the course of your life. Probably not ideal. But then they can just do the same thing, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how that would. I'm sure that the bill has to be paid by somebody at some point. That's the true. collectors probably end up coming after you, which wouldn't be an ideal thing. Oh, no, but, the pizza police? Yeah. But they do say that apparently um, there is no interest that is charged with this. It's basically a 0% credit card for the rest of your life. If places that I frequent regularly offered something like this, I would totally be down to sign up. Would you sign up for it? I think I would, but I I know I would be the guy to where I would pass on and my kids go, oh, wow, dad left us. $30,000 $30,000 and then they go, oh, wait, sorry, I had like a $29,000 debt to a pizza place. Like, I I would definitely go crazy on this to where it would be a problem when I've moved on. But hey, again, not my problem at that point. So I, I would sign up, I think. I don't know if I'd do it for multiple places, but I would do it for like what a really be, good Like, if you place. could have it at one place, what would be your go to? You get to go to this place and you're not charged. For their food, for, for whatever it is, for the rest of your life, whenever you go there. I'd be Until going back dead. in New York City. I'd tell you that much. For pizza? Pizza? Easy. Yeah. I, I might do a good, like, barbecue place here in town. Like, uh, I love Salt and Smoke. Maybe Salt and Smoke would be sure. the place I would do it at. Um, another good I, – I mean, I love Emo's. I, I would do it at Emo's, but – um, I, I think those would be the kind of places I would do it. At. Yeah, I feel like it's got to be one of those that you could just go to regularly. Like, can, I do, this, can I do this at like a brewery? I, if we could do it at brewery. Sure. I That's would, a great idea. I, I would, would go to Heavy Riff. In. Yeah. He- Heavy Riff would be my spot. And I'd just be like, yeah, I'm just I'm coming in here and I've got a I've got a card that I swipe when I walk through the door and they just know. Yeah, this guy doesn't have to pay for his drinks. They'll be paid for by the time he dies. Yeah, I'm at, I, if we can do it on a brewery, I'm 100 percent. Imagine you could do this at a gas station. Oh, that'd be nice. You just have anything like you can trip, choose from. Just don't have to worry about it. Every time that you go set. over there, by the time that you're dead, it'll be all taken care of. I think I, there's anything else that you'd want to do it for. Besides food flights. and Flights. Flights would be flights nice. Flights would if, like, be a good one. Southwest, I never have to pay for another flight in my life until I'm dead. And then I've racked up thousands of dollars in flights that I probably can't pay for at that point. And then my baby Luca has to pay for it. That'd be great. Yeah. It works out for me. Uh, I, I was trying to think of any anything else like movies, but I, they kind of they don't really have anything like that. But I don't know if I go enough movies that T-Bone would make would just be it. going to Sage. He wants the Sage discount. Oh, going across the river. 
I could, I could see him just racking up the bills, just thousands of dollars on a th- random Friday night, Memorial Day weekend, for yeah, example. When you're not traveling. Just driving not? across the river. T-Bone doesn't have to pay for this until he's dead, so might as well enjoy himself another, while he's here. Another place, a golf course, a good golf course. Mm. There you go. At a good country club, I, I would absolutely sign up. If I don't got to worry about it until I'm dead, sign me T-Bone up. T-Bone's suddenly a member at Augusta. Yeah. <laughs> just paying thousands of dollars a year. Oh, I'm doesn't totally, have. I don't got to worry about it. You can take care of it when I'm dead. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the AL Central might end up preventing the trade that we all know should probably happen. We'll explain coming up at 115. But next, this is a series coming into the weekend where the Cardinals offense should get some breathing room. We'll explain why coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. This should be, should be the type of series in which the Cardinals have some breathing room offensively. The Cleveland Guardians are horrible offensively, guys. They have hit 30 home runs so far this season. 30 as a team. For context, the St. Louis Cardinals have hit 72. They have more than doubled the number of home runs that the Guardians have hit so far this year. In fact, the total for Gorman, Arenado, and Goldie, those three combined, would be more than the total for the entirety of the Cleveland Guardians as a team so far this year. They have no power to speak of. And if you want to take this a step further, Brendan Donovan, he's having a down year, but a perfectly fine year, I guess you could say offensively. He's got a 690 OPS on the season. That's slightly below league average. It's good for eighth on the Cardinals among players with at least 50 plate appearances. Here are the players on their team that have a better OPS so far this year than Brendan Donovan. Gorman, Arenado, Goldie, DeYoung, Edmund, Contreras, Newtbar. Donovan is eighth. Guys, do you know where that would rank on the Cleveland Guardians so far this year? I'm going to go third. Naylor and Ramirez, I'm assuming, are ahead of them. Second. Oh, man. Second, the only guy on the Guardians that has been more productive offensively this year than Brendan Donovan, who is the eighth best hitter right now on the Cardinals, is Jose Ramirez. This offense is horrid. It is rotten. It is broken. Whatever description you want to use to you to say how bad this offense is for Cleveland, it applies. Over the course of a three-game set against the Chicago White Sox, whose pitching staff had been bad for most of the season, they scored five runs. Oh. (laughs) You continue even further than that. They scored one, four, three, two, three. These are their runs in their last six, seven, eight, nine games against Chicago and New York. Again, New York, who has been struggling this season. The Guardians are real bad offensively. And, Timon, the reason that I bring this up is because going into the weekend— it should be a situation where the Cardinals don't have to outslug their problems the way that they had to against the Dodgers or playing against the Reds where they were playing in that bandbox of a, a stadium. This should be a weekend where they can win games 
three to two, four to three, if necessary. Yeah, this should not be a series in which your pitching makes the Cleveland Guardians offense look good. It should be quite the opposite. That offense is bad to where your rotation should look good by the time you leave this weekend. And you've got guys that have got swing and miss stuff in their game going this week. And Libertor goes tonight. You're going to have, uh, I believe, Jack and Monty are going to go Saturday, yep. Sunday. So you should should be able to hold the Guardians to like two, three runs, and your offense only needs four. Unlike in Cincinnati, where, to your point, they need like seven runs to win every game. So this should be one of those series where it's going to be more of the kind of you're going to have to manufacture runs because it's going to be tough pitching that you're going to see on the other side i they cannot this rotation look i don't trust it this should be a series in which i am not leaving going man i can't believe the rotation was bad because they should look good in this series they should be able to put up performances where it's five six innings and there's not a lot of damage done against them yeah i I fully anticipate this is going to be the now I will add this. It puts a little bit of pressure on the on the pitching like you got you got to be able to pitch well. Hey, Matthew Libertor, this is a great opportunity. I will give the Cardinals credit for this. If there was a place that you wanted Libby to pitch in, it's Cleveland, not Cincinnati. I would not have wanted him to pitch. That's because the Reds offense is some juggernaut, but because of the the stadium in which you were playing and fly bulbs become home runs in Cincinnati. In Cleveland, that's not necessarily the case. Their home stats are every bit as bad as their stats on the road. They are playing in a kind of a neutral ballpark. And so you go into this one thinking, hey, Matthew Libertor, if you pitch well, you should get good results. But that puts pressure on him to pitch well. If you don't, like, these are still big league hitters. They can hit the ball out of the park. They can do some damage against you. They will be a team that is considering running against you. So you you still have to pitch well. Jack Flaherty, don't walk anybody. This is a team that cannot hurt you if you just put the ball, or rarely hurts you if you put the ball in the zone. Flaherty's problems, though, have come when he's walking the world and he's going up against a Guardians team that will be patient. If you allow them to take their walks, they're willing to do that. But you just got to find a way to put it in the zone. Montgomery, talk about a get right spot, dude. This oh, yeah. could, you could not ask for a better spot for Montgomery to get himself back on track than going up against a Guardians offense like this. The next five games, the Cardinals are going up against two teams in the AL Central that are bottom three in all of baseball when it comes to runs per game. This is the spot where you start to feel that that soft portion of the schedule once again. The Cardinals didn't take advantage of that against Cincinnati, but you could kind of explain it away by saying, yeah, but look at the ballpark. The, the Cardinals have had a lot of struggles at Cincinnati over the years. Cleveland, KC, these are spots where you need to take advantage of it. And I am curious to see how rest management plays into this because the Cardinals did something interesting yesterday where they decided to give Goldie, Arenado, and Contreras, not just DH days, a full day off. I was listening to the fast lane yesterday, guys, and they said something interesting about this. I, I did want to discuss a little bit what we saw yesterday from Ollie Marmol, the decision to sit all three of those guys in one game and the sprint that remains prior to the end of this 19 games and 19 days stretch. No Nolan Arenado today. No Paul Goldschmidt. No Wilson Contreras. That's so weird to me. So I understand giving guys days off. They It's a long season. And Gorman or not Gorman. Arenado and Goldie have both fizzled out come playoff time. Whether that's just that they're tired or just the other teams are pitching very well, whatever it is, they have not been great. So I think Ollie this year is trying to be proactive in the, we'll call it load management in baseball, right? But why do you have to take them all out at the same time? 
I don't like, know. I, I, I don't understand that strategy. Like, if you're going to rotate them in and out, that's that's what he's done in the past. Mm-hmm. Goldie gets a day off. That's and, what he has been doing. Uh, Arnado then will get a day off, and, and but to just take the trio out. And Contreras probably needed a day off, but that's fine. But rotate him. This was the first time all first time all season that Goldie and Arenado did not start in the same game. So forget Goldie, Arenado, and Contreras. They've typically staggered these, where you would have one of those guys DHing, the other guy would DH the next day, and then you'd get the off day at some point that week as well. But it would be different days for both guys, and they would they would try to stagger it so you don't go a day without both of them in the lineup. They decided to do that yesterday with Goldie, Arenado, and Contreras. T Bone, what'd you make of that yesterday? I I didn't make a whole lot of it. I didn't think it was that big a deal, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, you're going up against one, the Cincinnati Reds. And yes, I know you dropped two or three before that game to earn the split. But you're going up against Luke Weaver. I I trust that giving those three guys a day off still means the Cardinals have a chance to win that game against Luke freaking Weaver. So I I didn't think that much of it. I I thought, okay, they they definitely need a day off. My guess is, is it was a... We're going to schedule this out as a Paul Goldschmidt gets a day off, and then Contreras and Arnado will play. But then, like, you looked at the numbers. Contreras had really gone cold, so had Nolan Arnado. So what they do? They said, you know what? Let's just make this a day off for him. We've been playing it. We're in the midst of a 19 games and 19-day stretch. Let's get them a day off. And they're playing better baseball right now. They're not, though their record is still below 500, and they're not in first place in the Central they're not at the point they were in the first month of the year where it was like, my gosh, this team is just grasping for air. They are drowning, and yet they are still pulling these guys out of the lineup. There are times where I think the rest management was questionable in the first month of the season based on how they were playing. But now that they're playing better baseball, and it's clear they're the best team in this division, in my opinion, I, I don't have an issue with giving them days off. Would you like to stagger them? Yeah, but it just happened to work out to where I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think we're going to see that again this season where all three guys are off, unless it's the end of the year, you've clinched your spot. You've got nothing to play for. Then you pull those guys out just to prevent injury going into the playoffs. I had no real issues with the decision-making to do it yesterday. I thought it was just such a rare circumstance. You're in the middle of this stretch, or really the back end of this stretch of 19 games in 19 days. You have a day game coming off of a night game. I thought it looked pretty clear that Nolan Arenado was like, he looked tired where he's swinging at all of these sliders that are out of the zone again. I thought the same thing was true of Goldie uh, to a degree prior to his big home run day where he hit the two in the in the game, nearly had a third against Cincinnati. And, and then on top of that, they had mentioned kind of briefly on the broadcast, Goldie's dealing with something with his back. So, yeah, it's, an, it's a natural landing spot for him to be able to go ahead and get a day off there. And then Michaelis likes throwing to Kisner. So when you line all of this stuff up together – I, I didn't have that big of an issue with it either. And it's a, it's a good spot to go ahead and get some of these guys opportunities against a bad team in a game where you've got your number one starter in the game and you have an opportunity to win one like they did two to one. Now, if it would have cost them the game, if they ended up losing yesterday, I do think it was reasonable to be frustrated with the way that they went about that lineup, but they won it. And sometimes the results matter and they do inform how we feel about the decisions that took place. Shouldn't be the case. It's about the process, not the results, but because they won that game yesterday. And now you go into this series against Cleveland with a rested Goldie Arenado and Contreras. It does set you up even better to be able to potentially take advantage of this last five days prior to this five day sprint. And then you get two days off. You get to rest for a couple of days prior to the series against Pittsburgh. So I think it ended up working out really well for them, all things considered. 
I did find it to be a little strange that none of them were in the in the lineup, but I think it was just because of a rare circumstance where they're they're in the middle of this big stretch of nineteen days and nineteen or nineteen games in nineteen days. Yeah, so. again, I I don't think it was scheduled that way. I I think it was. I think it was. Oh, I think it was scheduled to where say goalie gets the day off, and if Arnado and uh, Contreras were playing well. Both of those guys would have been in the lineup, or at least one of those two would have been in the lineup. I think it was scheduled that way. Ollie said something similar to uh, to Derek Gould in the Post Dispatch this morning. I, I I know the comment you're talking. About. I I read it as it was. Hey, it happened to line up because those guys were struggling, so we made it a day off. I read it as not all three were scheduled because if you're scheduling all three, that's a little bizarre in my opinion. Even though I understand what you're saying, the circumstance. I read it as, yeah, we were going to work in days off for all these guys and kind of separate it out, and it just so happened to be, yeah, it, we decided let's bump up that off day for these two guys in Contreras and Arnado. So this is what he said in it. The three All-Star uh, had their break come on the same day. It was a product of the schedule. Marmol explained that the players all wanted to be in the game for the Dodgers' visit to St. Louis. The Reds had a left-handed starting pitcher in the first game of the series, assuring that all three batters would be in the lineup, and their starter Tuesday had reverse splits. Taking the three early start game Thursday made the most sense all at once. And while they're in the midst of this 19-game, 19-day push, Marmo felt it wasn't best to push the middle of the lineup through next week's unusual days of back-to-back off days. So I think it just ended up working out that way. It sucked. You deal with it. They found a way to win, and you'll give the team some credit for being able to come through with a win in that game. Coming up next, we've talked a lot about how this Guardians team can't hit for power, not very good offensively. Unfortunately, their division is so bad, much like the NL Central, it might not matter, and it might mean that they don't make the trade that we all think they should. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, I think if they traded Beaver, you know, they, they've raised the white flag. They're, you know, they're not looking to be in the playoff hunt to, uh, if they trade Beaver. I mean, this is, you know, they would uh, they would definitely take a, uh, you know, a different approach. Uh, you know, with the Beaver thing, you know, like you said, it's been, you know, he's been rumored to be, you know, on the market for a while. You know, he's got one year left to, until he's a free agent. They have not been able to, um, you know, sign him to a multi-year deal. But, you know, they would have to uh, get a lot to trade him because he still has one year left. That was Paul Hoynes on with us earlier today. If you missed any of our conversation with him, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it, all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. He's talking about the possibility of the Guardians trading their number one starter in Shane Bieber. Now, earlier today, we talked a little bit about this. Shane Bieber is a really good starter. He's a guy that is an innings eater. And over the last two seasons, since the start of 2022, he's had 41 starts. 31 of those 41 have gone for quality starts. So he's gone at least six innings, gave up three earned runs or fewer. This is a guy that could be at the front end of a rotation. And that is a contending type of number one starter. Now, the problem is, I'm not sure he's going to get traded, T-Bone, if we're being totally honest. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the Guardians. We just went through how bad their offense has been this year. It's been awful. They're the worst offense in Major League Baseball so far this season. But the Cleveland Guardians are 21 and 28. That sounds bad. It is pretty bad. Their division is every bit as bad, if not worse, than the National League Central. And that could keep them 
feeling like they're in contention longer than they actually are. The Minnesota Twins lead the AL Central with the seventh best record in the American League right now. They're 26 and 24 on the season. You go all the way down in the American League in terms of the actual standings of the league, not the division. The Tigers have the 11th best record in the AL, and they are second in the AL Central. The Guardians are 12th. The White Sox are 13th. The Kansas City Royals are 14th. And so four of the five worst records in the American League belong in the AL Central. And then the team that is leading the AL Central, it's not the Rays, it's not the Orioles, it's not the Braves. No, the team that's leading the AL Central is the Twins with 26 wins and a shortstop that they signed to a big money deal that's going to be out for the extended future with another foot injury in Carlos Correa. So I don't know where this ends up going for the Guardians. I think it is very much in the range of outcomes. And this is the worst case scenario for the Cardinals where both the Guardians, the White Sox, and the Tigers feel like they are still quote unquote in it at the trade deadline and decide, you know what? It makes sense for us to try to go for this here because the guardians consistently have a chance to be able to get into the playoffs and see what happens. They've kind of got the same mantra as the Cardinals. The tigers haven't been to the playoffs in forever. The white Sox are, have really tried to build around this core and it hasn't worked. So if there's a chance, maybe they can break through. They might just hold on to their assets instead of trying to trade them off. I think this is a real possibility that Cardinals fans should be keeping in mind. And if the AL Central is bad enough that none of them end up trading out their starters, I don't know who the best starter is going to be available that the Cardinals could actually go out there and get at the deadline. Yeah, it's tough to think of anybody outside the AL Central who would really have that much appeal in terms of trying to acquire a starting starting pitcher out there. I, I think it is possible that that scenario comes to uh fruition yeah that's the right word uh that i i think it's possible I, now with that being said i do expect somebody to start to really open up and run away with that division i i can't see detroit hanging around where they're at right now i think they're going to fall out of it i, I think Chicago's going to fall out of it but they're an interesting story because of that core you talked about and they've got an older owner that wants to win and he's the guy that ends up deciding whether or not they're pulling those trades off or not but I, I think it is definitely possible but I, I I think Detroit's the team that I would circle and say I think for sure they're they're going to sell Rodriguez and he's the only piece you really care about if you're a Cardinals fan yeah. you don't care about any of their offensive pieces they have you really don't care about their bullpen pieces they have you care about Rodriguez because he's a arm that you could bring in here and the reason I say I think they're going to sell him is even though they may be able to squint and go okay well maybe we can just sneak our way in and be the first time we've been there in like a decade I think they know Rodriguez is leaving, so they might as well just capitalize on their opportunity. And there's no way I think they can look at their team. And if they do look at it this way, I think it's just ridiculous. I don't think they can look at their team and go, yeah, we're exiting our rebuild. You're not. They're not that team right now. And losing Rodriguez for nothing, a guy that's going to opt out, just doesn't make sense. If he's the only piece they want to move at the deadline, so be it. But that that's the piece that I think is going to be on the move no matter where they're sitting because I don't think they're going to sit at this spot. And if they're just kind of hanging in there, I think they'll look at it and say, look, though it would be nice to get into the playoffs, let's be honest, we're not going to go anywhere, and we need to capitalize on this piece the that we have. The thing is, he's the number one guy I don't care about as a Cardinals fan because I would be shocked if the Cardinals make that move. Eduardo Rodriguez is not the kind of move that I would expect the Cardinals to make. There were there was stuff off the field yet last year where he went MIA for a while. He has been basically a one-year wonder at this point in terms of what he's doing this season. And that's not a big deal because, like you said, he's likely to opt out of his contract. And so it doesn't really matter. You're not on the hook long term. But you're going to have to give up significant assets in order to get a guy that's going to pitch for you for like two months. 
Typically, when the Cardinals make a deal like that for a pitcher or bullpen arm, whatever it is, that's on an expiring contract. They try to do that for guys like uh, what you had last year with Quintana, where deal expires, you gave up nothing of real substance that you were having to uh, worry about long term. If you try to get Eduardo Rodriguez, they're going to get a significant piece in return because he might be the best pitcher that changes teams. Yeah, I and it's tough because I, I kind of agree with you. I, I would just say he's the one guy that I think in this division, if everybody kind of sticks in it, is the guy that's on the move. That's what I was saying. Agreed, but it doesn't help the Cardinals. I, I know. I, I, I And they're not a team that's going to go quote-unquote all in. And I don't even know if Rodriguez can be categorized as an all-in move because he is just a rental. Now, maybe they would look at and say, we can bring him in and hopefully we can convince him to stay. But to your point, I don't think that's really the Cardinal move either because Ever. that's a tough sell and if he does opt out he's going to want more money too to the point that i don't know if it's where the cardinals would be comfortable giving it to a guy that's not a cardinal man he like we we know what it looks like when the cardinals sign a player it doesn't look like eduardo rodriguez is not the profile that they go out there and hand significant sums of money to the guy that they hand significant sums of money to is paul goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado, or Wilson Contreras. Even that was a little bit surprising to me because there were some question marks related to who he is as a player, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not sure that a guy that has had as many questions on the field, not even getting into anything that happened last year with him where he went MIA, as many questions as have existed at times with Eduardo Rodriguez with his free agent profile, I would be really surprised if that's the move that the Cardinals decide to make. And so this gets back to it, it, it really kind of feels like it's Shane Bieber or bust almost if they're going to get this front end starter that we're talking so much about, because it's if they just want to go out and get a guy, they want to get somebody like a Jose Quintana. Those players are always available. You could find a way to get somebody like that this year at the deadline. I don't know who specifically it'll be, but there will be pitchers that are out there. If you want to get a dude, somebody that can really like start a game one for you and you feel good about it. Outside, if the if the AL Central ends up consolidating like it is right now in a way where everybody feels like they're in it, I'm not sure that there's going to be one available for the Cardinals, and that's where you have to once again put your bet behind Jack Flaherty. And man, that is a concerning bet to be placing right about now. Yeah, because you've seen him have an ace start, what, once, maybe twice. Colorado, you can maybe argue that, but yeah, then you have to just game. And, and that's why, and I've I've been repeating this, I'm not going to necessarily crush them if they don't get an ace at the deadline. Where I think the Cardinals deserve to be kind of crushed and we be critical of them is if they don't get an ace at the deadline, then they don't do it in the offseason. Because there's going to be options in the offseason. If the Guardians decide to hold on to Shane Bieber this year at the deadline because they think they're going to win and they don't want to wave the white flag, as we were told today, then I think next offseason is when they're going to do it. Because they'll look at it and go, okay, we can't get a contract extension done with him. We don't want to just lose him. We're going to trade Shane Bieber. I think it's very possible you could see a guy like, I mean, Tampa Bay is always selling. Would it be a surprise if Shane McClanahan's available? No. Yes. I, I mean, them, it's Tampa Bay. I could see where they're – Glass now. That's the guy I was thinking of. Sorry, not McClanahan. I was about Glass to say, it would now. be a very big Glass surprise if guy, McClanahan with like five years of Glass, club control. Glass now is the guy I meant to available. say would be available, but he's got injury concerns. Like, there's going to be pitchers that are available. Aaron Nola is going to be available on the free agent market for the Cardinals to pinch and go out there. Julio Urias, I don't think he makes sense because he's got off-the-field issues as well, but he's going to be available on the market. I, it's getting tougher and tougher to see who that ace is going to be at the deadline to where I think you're right. They may have to gamble on, okay, hopefully Jack Flaherty can carry us in the postseason. And 
If not, we're going to have to solve that. We're going to have to solve the problem no matter what in the offseason. 314 399 9646 is the air cover service. Exxon. BK, when are you going to stop beating the drum of the Cardinals' bargain bin shopping? They have got to make a trade for a frontline starter. No questions asked. They're absolutely ruining Goldie and Arenado's prime. Mo has got to remove his head from his behind. First of all, I am the one that has been supporting the as much as anybody the idea of trading for a number one starter. I am certainly not beating the drum of them going bargain bin shopping. I promise you. Nah, I promise you that. Kyle Gibson. The problem is that it takes two to tango, and it is really hard to find the trade partner right now. It's kind of like with the Blues. I I would love nothing more than for them to find a partner to trade Tory Krug. And if the Islanders are willing to do it, cool. Let's talk. Like that sounds great to me. It's hard to find. It's really hard to find the team that's like an obvious candidate to go ahead and take that asset away from the Blues in terms of Tory Krug's contract. The same thing is true of baseball right now when you look at the starting pitching market. Every team needs starters. There is a a lack of quality innings that are coming around the league. And the teams that have them are the teams that are contending right now. So they're not trading those starting pitchers that are at the front end of their rotation. And even some of the teams that are struggling that have those guys, they're not far enough out, at least today, to be willing to trade them. And that's where the Cleveland Guardians come in. And it's why I'm so compelled to watch this matchup tonight against Shane Bieber. This is one of those games that I would be locked in on if I'm a Cardinals fan. First of all, to find out what Shane Bieber does against this lineup, because this is the kind of lineup that he will see in the postseason if he's leading a front end of a rotation. And also because I think he still remains the most likely candidate for the Cardinals to make a move. Got another year of control is very Cardinal Z in the way that he goes about it with his preparation and everything pitches to contact, which fits in with the way that they have constructed this uh, pitching staff in previous years, right, wrong or indifferent. And then it just comes down to whether or not the Cardinals have the necessary assets to be able to make such a trade. By the way, speaking of rotations that are hemorrhaging talent right now, have you guys seen what the Brewers did yesterday? They went out and signed Julio Tehran to a contract and then immediately started him in the game that day because they simply do not have starting pitchers that they can throw out there. Now, it ended up going okay, all things considered. Through five innings, ended up, I think, just giving up one run in that game. It was his first start since 2021 and his second start since the 2020 pandemic season in Major League Baseball. The Brewers, one of the reasons why I'm talking so much about the Cardinals in the bigger picture right now is because I don't think they're a real contender. I know they're 27 and 23, but they have a losing or a um, a negative run differential on the season. They're four and six in their last 10. The Brewers are heading in the wrong direction. I would already say today, like if I was setting the odds for the NL Central, to me, the Cardinals should be considered to be the favorite in this division. And that's why we are talking so much about them going and getting the pitcher that they need. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the rewind. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. All 
right, let's play game. One's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Let's start out with this one. St. Louis Athlete Edition. Jason Tatum, Brad Beal, Matthew Kachuk, or Brady Kachuk. Which one's got to go, T-Bone? I think, I'm, I think I'm leaning towards Brady here. Bradley Beal, one of the I, I think one of the best scorers in basketball. He's not like top 10 by any means, but I think he's one of the best shooters in basketball. And if he were on a good team, you could talk about him more. Jason Tatum, arguably one of the top, what, five, top 10 best players in the NBA. T- Tatum and Matthew are like d- easily the top two on this list. Uh, agreed. And then it just comes down to, to my opinion, Bradley Beal or Brady Kachuk and I, I think I'd rather have uh, Bradley Beal over uh, Brady. So I think Brady's got to go. I think you could say the same thing about Brady, though, to where if he was on a better team, you'd probably be talking about him a little bit more. Fair. So I think I'm going to go the opposite. He's stuck up in Ottawa. Poor guy. Hey, they're getting better. Yeah. They'll be there at Brady some point. Brady had a good season this year. For sure. Brady finished the year with 83 points over the course of 82 games. He had 240 hits this year. My gosh. You put Brady Kachuk in Florida, and he's probably doing similar things that Matthew's doing right now. Yeah, I, I don't know that to the same degree. Not but to the same degree, but he, comparable. He'd be a really good player. Yeah. Like If you put say, Brady Kachuk in St. Louis, he's immediately the favorite for most people here in St. Louis on the Blues. Yeah, that's how good of a player he is. I think I would take him over Bradley Beal as well. Bradley Beal's a really nice player, don't get me wrong. But given the youth of Brady Kachuk, he's about six years younger than Bradley Beal. I think I would probably take him over Beal at this point in in both of their respective careers. So I'll say that Brad Beal is the one that has got to go. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. One's got to go Memorial Day Food Edition. T-Bone, which one's got to go? Brisket, ribs, chicken wings, or a pulled pork sandwich? I think I'm going to have to get rid of brisket. I'm not as big a fan as, of brisket. Pulled pork sandwich, classic. You don't like brisket? I like it, but I like I don't like it better than uh, ribs or pulled pork sandwich or chicken wings. Chicken wings are honestly my personal favorite, but I think I would get rid of brisket here of these of these four. I think I'm getting rid of the pulled pork sandwich. Really? Yeah, I'm not a big pulled pork guy. I'm just a generic guy, so. Yeah, clearly. Oh, you don't I get like ripped on my food takes, so I don't, I don't like, like making brisket. them all the time. What you heard and what I said are two different things. I think brisket's like, if you could have one thing barbecue-wise for the rest of your life, I would go brisket. That would be my top choice out of anything. I'm out. I think I'm getting rid of the chicken wings. The The rest of this is great. I like chicken wings, don't get me wrong. But for Memorial Day, if I'm doing a cookout, we're going brisket, rib, pulled pork. Th- that would be my top three choices that I could potentially have. Getting rid of chicken wings is super easy. That's one that I would get rid of. Uh, one's got to go liquor edition for Memorial Day weekend. Beer, margaritas, vodka, or wine. Which one's got to go? Oh, this is easy for me. The, BK, I'm not a fan of this one, okay? I'm truly not a fan. Wine. Wine's got to go. I, I have not yet found a wine that I like, and I've tried all different kinds. Uh, wine, wine has got to go for me. I can do with a good margarita, solid beer, uh, what was the other one that I'm forgetting here? Oh, vodka, yeah. good vodka. I, I'm out on I'm out on wine completely. Every time I drink wine, no matter if it's just a sip, immediate heartburn. <laughs> immediate. So I don't drink wine. I've never That's felt out. heartburn before, I don't think. It's not fun. It's not fun. My wife is obviously dealing with it in a significant way right now with the pregnancy. I, I can't relate. I knock on wood, fingers crossed, that I never have to deal with it in a, shocked in a big way. I'm shocked you've not had heartburn. You surely have had heartburn. I don't think so. I, not that I know of, at least. I don't think that I've ever had heartburn. I, I don't know what the what the sensation feels like. Um, 
So I don't know. I, I can't speak to it. But wine gives me the worst headaches the next day. We had wine at the... Um, so we went to the wedding last weekend. And on Friday night, we had the rehearsal dinner. So on, we were at a Favaza's down on the hill. So all night we were drinking red wine with the meal and everything. Whew. Woke up that next morning and did not enjoy that headache. That was brutal. So I will go with uh, getting rid of the wine as well, especially because if you're hanging out outside, beer, margaritas, vodka kind of fits the vibe a little yeah. better than drinking a Pinot over the course of a 12-hour cookout day. That, that doesn't feel like uh, the thing that I would go with. Uh, one's got to go Memorial Day annoyances. Mosquito bites, sunburns, Warm beer because it's been sitting out all day, or the chigger bites. Have you ever had chigger bites? I, yeah, I don't think I've ever had or whatever. I feel like that's kind of the same thing as mosquito bites, but yeah. one of those, whichever one you want to take, one of them has to go. I got that the other day when I was grilling. It's brutal. Uh, I, look, this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion. It's the warm beer. I don't want a warm beer. I'm not going to waste a beer, so I would finish it if it's warm, but that's the word. I can handle mosquito bite, I can handle a sunburn. I can't. I, the warm beer thing just hurts me. I, I'm out. It's got to go. That that annoyance cannot happen on Memorial Day. It just cannot. I just won't drink beer then. Like, I just go for the marks. That's probably what I'm going for anyway. <laughs> so I don't really mind about the warm beer. Honestly, my biggest annoyance is it's not on this list. It's the deer flies. Those things annoy the hell out oh, of those me. Those things are bad. I'm like swatting. I'm like flailing my arms for like hours when I'm outside. That's what kills me. But I guess out of this list, I'd go with the mosquito bites. Yeah, I. The mosquito bites have got to go. Those are brutal, man. Absolutely brutal. Um, Before we get out of here, we'll get to BK and Ferrario Rewind on the other side. This is not a one's got to go necessarily, but uh, this weekend, a nationally relevant TV show is going to go with Succession having its final episode. Is this the biggest finale that we've seen since Game of Thrones? Is it fair to say that? Is there anything else that you guys can remember that would be a, a more significant cultural event in terms of a TV show finale since Game of Thrones? Because Game of Thrones felt big. Like yeah. it was like a pop culture event for people. Succession, the most recent one since then? I'm trying to think if there's anything, there anything else, else I'm I would, forgetting. I would probably say yes. I can't think of anything that jumps out that's been that big um, in some time. So I, I would say yes, probably since the end of game of thrones and we were kind of joking about this off air because i saw someone just kind of tweet something out like a gif of that imagine imagine if they do like what game of thrones did where everybody kind of didn't like the ending of it and they give like the ceo to like greg no you can't do that i've never seen either honestly i will say stranger things the finale of that i think next year is when it comes out that's gonna be stranger things has kind of hit a yeah kind of fall just because they don't like it was last year that they came out with that season i felt like last year it was huge that's fair I guess I haven't seen Stranger Things, so it's harder for me to say. Yeah. Someone said Better Call Saul. I'd, look, I've watched Better Call Saul. There's no way Breaking it was Bad. That. Breaking Bad was that way, I think. Like, yeah. Breaking Bad, it was a big deal when that show finally came but to But definitely not Better Call Saul. I don't think it's I up agree. to the level of succession. Oz- I don't know if Ozarks was that way. Walking Dead's kind of the same as Stranger Things to me, where it kind Man, of how many seasons of down. Walking Dead were there? Like fifteen? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I did the same thing as most people, where like I watched the first three, four seasons, and then I just completely fell off. Yeah. Me. I Ted Lasso maybe has a little bit of that, where this is the final season of Ted Lasso as well. I oh, think well, two I didn't even know it was the final season. So. Oh, I think a couple of weeks from now they're gonna have the finale for that. Um, 
So maybe Ted Lasso, you could argue as well. But I think Succession, because it's a drama, there's like more leading into the final final season, final episode. I think it really is for me like Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Succession in terms of recent TV shows or last like five to 10 has years. a good Big Bang Theory. It wasn't a drama or anything, but I think there was a big following for when the Big Bang Theory had its final year. I mean, that was a successful show for... 10 years maybe yep. a little bit more than that so i could see where big bang theory might fall into this category i don't know if it was as big as like game of thrones or what we're talking about here so, big finale there big weekend this weekend for the cardinals we'll discuss that as we wrap things up with the bk and ferrario rewind heading into a holiday weekend here on 101 espn we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you can go to find it it is all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers we're off on monday we'll be back on tuesday for the holiday t-bone the cardinals are in cleveland this week and you've got libertor flaherty in montgomery by the time that we get back we will also have seen them start out the series with one game against kansas city as well in the next four games a success to you would be what uh, I, next four games? Yeah, because we'll be back on that Tuesday, so we'll have seen three, four games by the time that we're returning. Three or four, I would say. You should you should be able to take two or three from Cleveland, and I know they've got decent pitching, and your, uh, your pitching's not good, but their offense is bad. I think the pitching will look fine for the Cardinals. The offense should be good enough to find a way to win two of three in Cleveland, and Kansas City's so bad it's hard to call them a real baseball team, so you should win that game that we see on Monday. So I I think three of four should be kind of the goal for the St. Louis Cardinals and what I'm kind of expecting to wear back on the year on Tuesday. you got to get at least one of these first two. That's the biggest thing is because once you get into game three of this series, Gaddis is a guy that you should be able to hit around a decent amount. You've got the pitching advantage in that one. Uh, Liberator against Bieber is going to be tough. Flaherty versus BB is going to be an interesting one as well. He's been pretty solid so far this year for them. Their pitching staff is really good, and if they get ahead early, they've got the bullpen to shut things down. The Cardinals offense, get ahead early. That's the formula, and then you can go ahead and coast to victory from there. His offense from Cleveland is just so bad, man. Be interested to see what it looks like tonight. Bieber versus Liberator, two guys that could be leading the Cardinals rotation in future years. We'll certainly be breaking it all down for you guys on Tuesday. Be safe this weekend. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. The Fastlane coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.